following announcement has been paid for by the WZWA Network. Gentlemen, welcome to the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WZWA Network. I'm your host with the most on the West Coast, California and Fury. Great to be with you all here tonight and today for my very special guest at this time. Ladies and gentlemen, this is this is big. We, we're doing really good lately getting a lot of uh, people from the deathmatch style of wrestling, legends from this style on the show. Uh, guys like Sick Nick Mondo, guys like Matt Tremont. And of course, soon we're going to have a, an interview with Thumbtack Jack that'll be dropping very soon. But here today, it is my honor, my privilege to be speaking to the owner, the boss, the big kahuna of Combat Zone Wrestling. He is the one and only DJ Hyde. How are you, my friend? How are you, my friend? Thank you for having me on. No worries, mate. I really appreciate your time. Uh, so, DJ, excited to, to learn a bit about you and, and your journey in the wrestling business. It's obviously been quite the journey. Uh, it always begins somewhere. The first question we always have on the show is, before you got into the business, how did you become a wrestling fan? Um, in some ways it was kind of in my family. So, uh, my grandfather used to set up rings and do things in the South for the NWA many, many moons ago at this point. Um, and when I was younger, that was the one thing that I think my family really bonded over. I mean, I can remember as young as five years old, sitting with my dad and, and, and watching pro wrestling, whether it was, you know, the NWA or, I mean, there was a lot of different stuff back there or, uh, you know, getting when pay-per-view became a thing, we had a, a hot box, a little, a little bit different than what it is now. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I even remember going to like the movie theaters to uh, watch uh, pay-per-views with my dad. And it was really like one of the few things we had in common where my dad is very much but he he was very much into like cars and constructions and fixing things and you know my all that kind of stuff where i was very much sports oriented and you know i probably couldn't tell you how to change the oil in my car and he could take the entire car apart and put it back together so we kind of had different different worlds but that was something we always bonded over and uh it was something that we did regardless so i i can remember like i said back then and even going to like the local indie shows and things like that, that uh, at a very, very young age. Uh, that's really cool, man. Like uh, for, for me, my dad hated wrestling. So it would have been so cool to be able to uh, share that experience with your dad. Uh, <laughs> um, so, okay, the time wears on. You, you've been watching kind of this old school stuff. When was there a time in your life where all of a sudden you, you were attracted to, you know, maybe more of a hardcore style of wrestling? Maybe you were starting to do tape trading and things like that, looking at magazines. Um, tell me how you uh, ended up, you know, coming to find this style of wrestling. I really, I really got into the after mags and uh, sorry if I'm using wrestling jargon, but uh, 
I really got into the magazines and tape trading pretty early. Um, most people, if you do any research on me, know I live in Delaware. Um, I kind of grew up on ECWA. I could literally walk to the events. Um, so I, I was seeing top talent, you know, things like the Super 8 that's been around for a very, yeah. very long time. And locally, then I discovered this company that was in Philadelphia, and it was called uh, Eastern Championship Wrestling. Right. And I was one of those people where most of my life revolved around sports. Um, I mean, some things happened to me, and we might get into those later, but um, pro wrestling was like the one thing that like I did, you know, and it was like, oh, this was the 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 out of the norm thing that I was into that, you know you would not think. And I was pretty into it pretty hard. And I met, I, I, I was there the night that it became ECW and I was a very young kid at the time. And after that, things just changed. And I just started looking at it thinking this, this is more of cool. You know what I'm saying? It's the cooler style. It's like these guys are, and at the time I wasn't six foot four and 300 pounds, but, um, these are the guys that, that just were out here doing some craziness and just, just, just bringing it in a different style where it was like, it just seemed more real to me instead of like when you used to wake up and watch Saturday morning cartoons. And I was like, okay, this is wrestling. You know, this is, this is, this is more like believable where I don't have to sit here and go, Oh, this guy's, a clown and he's a wrestler and then all of a sudden you started seeing the hardcore and the high flying and, and and it was just taking it to a different level where when i watched it before it was very minimal you know and it was very you know like if you got hit with a chair that was the end of the match and and then it was like okay the guy was you know the littlest thing the guy was completely so injured you know he had to have medical attention and <laughs> then i saw this and it was like okay these guys are getting right back up they're doing these spots and and you know all this crazy stuff that um i didn't see and i think it really opened my mind to what was really out there and that's when i really got into heavily tape trick uh discovered japan and and, and it was just mind-blowing some of the things that you know early all japan where these guys were beating the living hell out of each other and <laughs> and you're, you're sitting here seeing them hit each other where i've seen it before but not so much on tv you know i would see it like like old you know i i've my students now studied like rick flair and ricky steamboat is a a match that usually very early they watch and you can see the the sweat and, and everything coming off their body. You can see, you know, when, when somebody chops a guy, you know, you can see the blood vessels come up. And, and, and it was one of those things where I was like, okay, I can believe in these guys. I can, these guys, I don't mess with them, you know? And, and then you start seeing people like Kabashi and Stan Hansen and, and you're just like, you know, like, what the hell is this? And, and it just really blows your mind. So, uh, you know, I think that's when it really, like, really started taking off for me where my mind opened and it wasn't just like, oh, 
here's the NWA or WCW, which it, you know, became basically, and then WWF at the time. And, and it was like, okay, I knew what ECWA was and it was very, you know, I don't want to say cartoony by today's standards, but like at the time I was kind of like, I really love this, but some of this is kind of dumb, you know? And I was like, why is this guy who's 80 pounds out here, like wrestling this guy who's jacked? You know, I was thinking things like that and, and just like, and beating him, you know? And it was just like, I really got into that. And I don't know if it was because I had sports background and my competitiveness or what. And then it just kind of, you know, go, okay, here, here's how we're turning it up. Here's how it's going. And I think that really started my, I don't want to say passion, but obsession with pro wrestling. <laughs> yeah, the obsession always it begins somewhere, and then it just doesn't leave you. I haven't watched uh, a lot of uh, mainstream wrestling in I think maybe 15 years, and yet I'm still obsessed with it. I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, I think the tape trading thing is like uh, it, it's this. There's a charm to those days because I I was a, I became a fan right near the end where it was still a VHS tape that you get sent in the mail of a of a compilation video of this and that. And when we interviewed Thumbtack Jack, he was uh, talking about, you know, he only ever saw in the magazines these still pictures of this this crazy shit going on in Japan. And it, he just couldn't wait to get his hands on that stuff. And he finally did. And the anticipation of waiting for that thing to arrive and putting it in, it's like there's a whole thing to it that I think wrestling fans these days kind of miss out on uh, because all they can do is just go on the internet and find a, a torrent or whatever or sign up to some sort of streaming service and then they can see whatever it is that they want just like that. So I, I feel like that that charm is kind of gone. Um, <laughs> uh, so uh, after all this time period, when do you make the decision, tell your parents, this is what I want to do. Where do you go to, uh, to start your training and, 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 and how was that experience? Well, my route wasn't as traditional as most people when I started. So as I said, I was, you know, a high school athlete star and, you know, I basically went to the college of choice. I mean, I always thought that I'd be playing football as a career. Um, I tore my MCL, ACL, and nine other ligaments in my right leg. Uh, my first day in college, um, like literally second practice of the day, I got caught under a pile. My leg was basically just hanging like this from my kneecap down and it looked like a wet noodle. Um, about nine surgeries later, in about eight months, I went to uh, an ECWA show, um, surprisingly. And, you know, I was a young kid at the time. You know, I, I didn't really know. And um, at that point, I think it was probably I had just started, like, finishing rehab, and I was able to walk again. And they didn't think I was ever going to be able to do sports or anything like that um you know if anybody who is around me like you'll see i i sometimes walk a little bit weird and that's because of that um you know i get made fun of because i walk on my toes it's because i can't 
because of the surgeries, I don't stand flat footed. Um, so it, 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 it's a little weird, but, um, you know, and I went up to one of the wrestlers who is named Cheetah Master. Um, you know, if anybody is an ECWA fan, um, probably knows who he is if you're a long-term guy or you were tape trading back in the day. And at that point, I was, you know, 18, about to become 19. Um, I'm 43 now. And I basically was at just like the merch stand, like having a conversation like a lot of guys do with the indies even now. And I, I made a comment and I said, I really wish I could do what you do. And I didn't even know who he was because Cheetah Master wear the mask. And <laughs> I was kind of just like, like at the time, I believe he was a champion. And, you know, I just thought he was, you know, cool. And, you know, he was relatable and, and things along those lines. And, and, and I was sitting there, I think, saying that conversation. And then he was in the main event, came back over, and he remembered me from the intermission. And he said, so you wish you, you could do what I do? And I was like, I was like, man, he remembered that. I was like, that was really cool. Like, I was thinking that. It was like, oh, you know, I'm like telling my friends, and, you know, as we're going home, like, he remembered me. And he goes, he goes, hey, he goes, show up here. And he handed me a piece of paper that had an address on it. And it was for the following Sunday. And I was just kind of like, okay. And it was a gym. And... It wasn't a wrestling gym. It was a gym gym. Right. And when I walked, I went there the following Sunday. I got there. I remember getting there like an hour early and I was just sitting there and like going, I don't even know what this guy looks like. You know, like I'm sitting there thinking in my head and then, you know, right on the dot. And I believe I had to be there at like six o'clock or something on Sunday and the gym was getting ready to close. And I was like, I was like, man, did he just, man, was he messing with me or what's going on? And, uh, you know, walked up to me and was like, Hey, and I was like, Oh, Hey, he's like, so you're on time. And I just like kind of looked at him and I was like, Oh, this is him. And he said, so you want to do what I would do. And then I started uh, traveling shows with him. And what we would do is we'd get to the shows early. Uh, Cause there wasn't a lot of wrestling schools back. I mean, there was, but there wasn't, it wasn't like now where you could just get on the internet and, you know, Google whatever is near you. And, you know, at that time, there was the Wild Samoans and the Monster Factory that was even remotely near where I could be. And they were still hours from where I lived at the time. And and I was sitting there thinking, like, okay, let me look into how much this is. And it was like $5,000 or something like that. And $5,000 back then, $5,000 mm. right now is a lot of money. $5,000 back then was an awful lot of money. And... <laughs> I was sitting there thinking to myself and like, I'm watching it and I'm watching the Samoans and you're seeing like their commercials with like the undertaker and you know, all these guys. And, and you're like, Oh, this is badass, but I can never afford this. You know, my parents didn't have money. Um, you know, when I was coming up, I mean, my dad worked, you know, at a factory, he worked swing shift and my mom worked like three jobs. And so I started going to shows with him and learning like just very basics. And you know, I like we would get there a couple hours early. They, I would help set up the rings and, you know, whatever else needed to be done. Chairs, guardrails, you know, I was basically just, you know, what young guys are nowadays. And then we would get in the ring for about an hour 
maybe two sometimes, depending on how quick things got done. And he would just walk through some things with me and then like have other people do some stuff while he was putting, you know, his matches together and just like, Hey, show, you know, work with him with bumps and so on and so on. And then from there, I went to a show at WXW at the wild snow and, uh, and I met pops. I met off and I'm a big guy. Uh, I'm six foot four. I'm currently about 300 pounds. Uh, at the time I, I, I was bigger than I am now. Um, you know, I'm actually big for what I am right now because, you know, COVID, um, yeah. I got that, but, um, you know, they really liked me. And then pops offered me to start coming to their school. So I would drive to Allentown, which at that point is about a three, three to five hour drive sometimes, depending on traffic from where I live. And I would go there usually once or twice a week and still go to shows. And, you know, then I would go and do their shows. And then I got booked relatively quickly. And I was doing a very terrible character. And I, I was a good old country boy named David Dalton. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I, you know, I'm out there in overalls and, you know, some of DJ Hyde is, is from that. And some of the other characters, like the fact that DJ Hyde is from Omaha, Nebraska is kind of from that. It's kind of like an homage to when I started because they're growing big down on the farm out in the Midwest. And <laughs> then, um, you know, I would still go to ECW shows. And then when ECW closed, it was kind of like heartbreaking. And then a friend of mine was telling me about this company called Combat Zone Wrestling. And at the time, they were running in Sewell, New Jersey. And they had just started. And he was like, they got light bulbs and crazy stuff. And like, there's, you know, like they're doing stuff like ECW, but it's crazier. And I was like, well, how? I've never heard of this place. They're like, oh, they just started. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And then I, uh, they had shows in Delaware and they were, they were, they were just like these weird, like stretched in Smyrna and like weird shows. And I went there and then on one of the shows I met John Zandon. And when I first saw John I, and I tell this story a lot, I thought he was Bret Hart because he had the, you know, he had the hair. And like, he didn't have the muscle gut that he has now, you know, he was much younger and I'm just like kind of looking at him from afar and he, you know, he had the big leather jacket and I was like, you know, and uh, I went and introduced myself to him because that's, you know, what you're supposed to do. And he said, we'll come up to the school and school was in Deptford, New Jersey at the time. And I was like, well, that's only like an hour, hour and a half. That's not bad, you know? And then I would go and do the Samoans. And then I started there. And I remember the first time I came in, he goes, okay, I'm going to put you through a tryout. And the tryout at that time was a back bump, a flip bump, and hit the ropes. And I remember when I did the flip bump, I was so nervous because, like, Tommy Dreamer was there when I got there. And I <laughs> guess they were setting up some kind of angle. And I did the flip bump, and I landed right on my head. And I was, like, so nervous. I was, like, I was panicking because I'm like, oh my God, I've been watching East that's Tommy Dreamer, you know? And <laughs> then I saw like Zandig doing like, you know, this crazy stuff in Japan. Like there was a match where like the entire ring was on fire and, you know, like they had piranhas in a match and it was like, it was crazy stuff. <laughs> and, you know, John was kind of like intimidating, but a father figure. And then from there it was, 
pretty much CZW for me. And, you know, I would go up and do the Samoans once in a while and train there early on in my career. And then it was, you know, CZW pretty much full time. I was probably there about four days a week. And it kind of took over my life at, you know, and I was, I wasn't even old enough to drink at that point. So it was, you know, it really took over my life where I was still doing like what I would call very small family friendly events, but learning, you know, at the CZW school and going to Samoans, you know, once in a while that it was just wrestling full time. And, you know, at the time I had a day job and, you know, I'd work my nine to five, get in the car, go up, go up wherever it was, leave there at 11 o'clock, come home, sleep five, six hours, get up, do it again. You know, and then on the weekends, I think it was like Friday night, I might hang out with my friends. Saturday, I'd be at some show. You know, Sunday, I would sleep in. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> you know, that was kind of how it was. And if I wasn't, you know, at some show, I was going to some show that, you know, unless like WWE or something like that was in town, that was my early, early career. And, you know, I think in CZW, like when I first started there, people thought I started at CZW. That's where I got my like real, like first, like this is training. Even at the Samoans, it was very basic for me. And like stuff that I kind of already knew because I was kind of like starting. But when I got the CZW, it's like, no, this, 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 this. And I was like, oh, because the Samoans, it was kind of just like, they kind of like, you got to get point A completely done. If you can't do it perfect 10 out of 10 times, then you're not getting the point B. Where it wasn't like that at CZW. It was like, okay, you can do this. Let's move on. You know, it was like, boom, 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 boom. And then you get a better knowledge base, I guess, is kind of how it was. And it was like, oh, I can do this. I can do that. And I think a lot of people liked me just because I had sides. And it got me a lot of opportunities. So, but uh, I do tend to rant. So uh, I will try to fit that. <laughs> that's cool bro no i really appreciated that story uh usually when i ask about people how they first started training or got into the business usually they'll just kind of skim through but that was like this whirlwind of all of a sudden like you know you're meeting john zandig and and you're at czw and who would have thought at that point in time we'd be at this point in time in 2021 where you actually own the company so if this it's it's an amazing story really and uh you're right uh the internet does lie because the internet believes that your debut was september 13th 2003 at CZW redefined at the Viking Hall in Philly as the Rebels Army defeated yourself and John Dahmer. Um, but you had just mentioned that you had already worked uh, some shows in a different character before that. Um, I wanted to ask you about the first CZW match. It's a while ago now. Um, how nervous were you for this in front of that, you know, that that kind of hardcore audience? And, and how were those like early months and years for you trying to prove yourself to that hardcore audience and and when was there a moment where you felt like you know they accepted you as a performer for czw um so at early on in, in there and i think again most people and again now you said the internet uh doesn't have everything correct most of the companies and places i was wrestling prior to czw i mean i'll be honest with you i knew nothing i was Greener than grass. To be honest with you, I had probably been already wrestling for a long time and shouldn't have been in a wrestling. And <laughs> things were a lot different back then, but it was like, oh, he's big. He can, you know, go out here and, 
you know, do this and do that. And, and I was just doing what I was told. And, you know, I was a young guy and, and kind of like, this is cool, you know, and not looking at the bigger picture. Um, so when I started training at CZW and I started really going there, I think early on fans knew me as DJ, the door guy, because they always put me by the door because I was big and that's where the money was. So I was always there to watch the door, you know, and, you know, and I, I was kind of just like, like doing that. And I remember, um, my very first CZW match, John came up to me and said, do you have your gear? And I said, I have my boots and training stuff. It's in my car. And he's like, oh, you're tagging with Dahmer tonight. And I was just like, what do you mean I'm tagging with Dahmer? <laughs> and he's like, oh, yeah, you're on the show. And then walked away from me. And I was just like, like what the, just that, like, so I went up to Dahmer and I was panicking. And I was like, this is, this is the East Viking Halls, the ECW arena, you know, gone through 3,000 different name changes. But like, yeah. I'm sitting here going, wait a minute, you're going to put me out there in the ECW arena and I'm wrestling Rebel and Greg. And Greg at that point was straight out of Tough Enough. And, you know, that was kind of a big deal at the time. And Rebel, you know, I seen him in ECW and kind of behind the scenes. People didn't know that Rebel had the promoter's license. They may know now, but Rebel was the actual promoter, like to the state and the government behind the show. So I saw the behind the scenes of how like he looked like an important guy you know and and rebel was much older so it was like i was just sitting there like okay i'm gonna go out here i have nothing to wear i'm gonna look stupid and i, I i'm like panicking and Dahmer's like it's czw just wear whatever you got you know <laughs> like nobody's gonna care <laughs> and i'm just like okay and i had like i had like an under armor outfit and that was like when under armor first came out and it was just like stuff that I would train in at the school. And I had my boots and my pads and I threw them on and I went out with Dahmer and I was sitting there. I remember calling the match and just kind of doing what, what it was like, Hey, you do this and it looks good. Hey, you do this and it looks good. And, and then rebel was like, Hey, I got to hit you with three rebel lizers, brother, because you're big. And I'm just sitting here like, okay. You know, like, like I was just like, and then when I got to the, to the ring, it was like, you're looking around and you're out in that you're on the show. And I think we were like the first match on the show and the crowd is always so hyped back then. And it was kind of, it was kind of one of those things where you're in a panic mode, but you're like, this is really cool. And then you're kind of like, wait a minute, this is for real. This wasn't wrestling. It's some, um, you know, bullshit, you know, family marketplace. This is the land. This, this is where you have come. And this is the real deal. You now need to take this serious. And again, I wasn't, you know, wasn't even that old, you know, um, I think I was 21 at the time or, or 22. And I, I, I was just kind of amazed. And then like most of the stuff I did looked pretty good, at least watching it back on tape. I just didn't really have a character or an act. And we had, after that, it was kind of discussed on what I was going to be. And then it never happened, but that's another issue. Um, and, and then it was like, Oh, okay. Hey, 
you did good kid. And then like rebel told me I did good and Greg and Dahmer. And I'm like, okay, these are like veterans and Dahmer's like one of my trainers at that time. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then the next thing I know, I'm just on the shows with all the young guys all the time. I went into a program with Dahmer. I was like the first student to beat him in the first, my first like singles match. Um, like, which was like a deal at the time, like behind the scenes. And I was like, oh, okay. And it was kind of just like trial and error and going, okay, I got to figure this out. And then I don't really think that it clicked for me until years later. I don't think, you know, I got a, a lot of experience at that point. Cause I was, once I got on a CZW show, I started getting booked everywhere. And it was just like, I guess the exposure and, and they weren't great shows. They weren't like, you know, like the companies that you'd want to work for nowadays, but it was like, Hey, it's a booking you know, hey, people are paying me to be here. And then I started getting some opportunities, doing some things and learning, you know, TV and and meeting stars, like people that I, you know, grew up watching and getting to wrestle them. And I think it clicked some years later. And, and, and it was one of those things where I just never stopped learning from people. And I, I always credit Al Snow to really my mind and how it is now. Um, I met him for the first time at, I think we're in a Poconos or something like that during a show. It, it, it was definitely like one of those, like, you know, at a resort family friendly, you know, type of show. And I just had a conversation with him for about two hours and it was just like, it was enthralling to me. And it wasn't just that Al was in ECW. It was like what he was telling me was completely different than anything I ever learned. And then it really got me thinking instead of just doing what I was told. It got me really becoming the artist that a pro wrestler is. And then I started taking chances and started doing like little things to go, okay, well, does this work? Did this work? Did that work? And, and I think that's where it was like, oh, and then I got the confidence to be out in CZW to where it wasn't like I was just wrestling the guys I trained with in Dahmer every show, you know, it was like, Oh, Hey. And then eventually, you know, it, it got to where John came to me and said, Hey, uh, what do you think about doing some death matches? And I was like, all right. You know, it, it, it was, it wasn't even a hesitation, but it was, I think my first death match in CZW was in the ultraviolet underground against the necro butcher. And I just remember him punching me in the face <laughs> and I, I know when I watch that match, there is a, there is a spot where you hear like a leg slap sound. Oh, it's not a leg slap. You know, <laughs> he just all decks me and, you know, and I've probably wrestled Necro a hundred times now. Um, but it, it's one of those things where it was like, I'm going in there against Dylan. Dylan's going to break my damn jaw, you know, where, you know, I'm going to go out here and take bundles of light tubes. And he just beat the living crap out of me in a death match and then at that point i think shortly after that's when i really got comfortable with everything because the fear was gone and right. and that's kind of how i think it, it clicked for me again see i go on rants i tell long stories but uh that's, that's cool kind of what i do <laughs> excellent bro no that's i like to hear that the the growth of the performer there and and every time we, we do an interview i i always find that surreal life moment for somebody and and the fact that your czw debut was in the ecw arena where you'd been when eastern championship wrestling became extreme i think that's really cool 
Um, so I, I wanted to kind of skim forward uh, to talk about some of the uh, uh, feuds and, 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 and some of the other things you've done in CZW. Uh, you had this uh, epic feud with uh, Matt Tremont. Uh, and I wanted to talk about, I'm sure you've talked about this many times, but it's a, an infamous uh, moment of the cage of death. Uh, going off the top of the cage with him through the panes of glass, uh, I interviewed Matt uh, and he told me in, in, in the interview that as he was about to go and do it, you told him to take one more step before doing it. And to me, it just, it makes me laugh because it's like, how did you know that he needed to take one more step? You're so far up. You're on his shoulders. How did you know? But please uh, let me know about that. But also uh, the bump itself, the fallout of it, you know, this is this is a pretty crazy moment. So that entire feud is was never planned. Um, Matt at that point was still kind of a young guy. Yeah. And I will remember... I remember from the day he jumped the guardrail and, and we, you know, started using him, we were trying to put him in there with veterans because he was, you know, you know, we did like a deathmatch trial with him. And I remember Drake Younger calling me one day and going, DJ, I figured out how to have a good match with Matt Trema. And I was like, what? And he's like, don't call a fucking thing. <laughs> I was just like, because <laughs> Matt, Matt, Matt was always so like just hype as a character back then. You know, he had a charisma, and he still does, that it, it, it's it's hard to, like, he had that natural ability to connect and a charisma that not a lot of people had. But that was always, like, so on his mind, so he wasn't always, like, this, this, this. So you would just, like, early on, you didn't just improvise everything. And um, that feud originally wasn't even supposed to be me and him. It was actually supposed to be me and Masada. And at least that's what was planned. But then me and Matt just had something that we, even from when he jumped the guardrail, because he jumped the guardrail in my match. And, and I remember like, I have this scar right here and I was bleeding out the side of my head, like crazy trying to cut a promo with him and, you know, on his debut and, and like, I'm just half out of it. And um, we just had something. And, and it kind of led to that point at Cage of Death where, you know, I was kind of, at that point, I had already trained a lot of people. I had been mentoring a lot of people. And Matt was kind of like, okay, you, I love project people. I really do. That even when they don't start with me, like I, I explain a lot of my training. I like getting guys from other places and then kind of molding. Them. Like, it's like, right. okay, hey, you know how to you know how to bump. I, let me take you to like, I'm college, you know, like, let me take you to another letter. Let me, and I'm not super professional about it. And it's got me in a lot of trouble, but like it works, you know, a lot of people that come through the system of CZW specifically since I've owned it, it is, it has elevated them to a new place. And I mean, the amount of people that have been in our system and train with us, you know, even through like our dojo program that are currently on TV or our guys, you know, where it's like, okay, hey, here's this, you know, I'll take a Jordan Oliver as an example. You know, he was a 16-year-old backyard wrestler when I met him, you know, and Joe Gacy was a backyard wrestler. You know, guys like that, Lindsay Dorado, they all started with us. And you kind of elevate them through time. And Matt was like, hey, I really like this kid. There's something about him. And then we just developed a trust. So I also had a wide 
why deathmatch knowledge. One of the things I learned in CZW and specifically from Zandig is how to do things and not really get hurt. And I had also been building these things for years at that point. You know, I mean, scrawny Shawnee. And I remember Tommy Dreamer said to me, because um, I've, I've done a lot with him and, I, and Tommy is a guy. He said, you might need a real job someday, which is why my forehead doesn't look like a lot of guys. Um, you know, that's done deathmatch wrestling. And <laughs> I kind of took that serious because I came from banking. And, you know, I have a business background and, and things along those lines that where it was like, okay, I can't go in here with my head looking, you know, like mats now where you can stick a fork in and it'll just stay there. You know, I, <laughs> I, I can't have that because, you know, I don't really know what's what. So I learned how to do a lot of things. Now, that particular bump, though, for some reason, I don't remember if I came up with it or Sean came up with it or what, but I had already been in the cage before. I've already taken these bumps, not just in CZW, but other places, and I kind of already knew what I was doing. So when I'm up there, I'm like going, if Matt doesn't move, I'm going to get impaled up my butt by this wood that is holding these panes of glass, like, it's called a pancake bump, actually. These panes of glass there. So underneath this, this contraption, there was the crash pad. So the crash pad moved. So Matt was a Matt's a very big boy. Let's just put it that way. So when he hits you with a Death Valley driver from that high up and lands on you, and I missed the crash pad. Matt oh. hit it perfectly. Matt was like <laughs> soft as a feather. And you can see the people like running up because they knew. You know, they knew I missed. And if you watch the tape, I'm just like, like, I couldn't breathe. I was just like, I thought I broke my ribs or something. And like, I've taken stupid bumps like that before, but never with a 300 plus pound man coming crashing down on top of me. <laughs> you know, I remember the only time in that match that I was like kind of nervous and scared. Matt went up to the top and I was under a pane of glass and two chairs, and I couldn't see him. And he hits uh -huh. a frog splash through a pane of glass. And I just remember, I, I'm going to Papa Giorgio, who's the ref at the time. I'm going, I don't know where he is. Where is he? I can't see him. I'm, I, Nick, I can't see him. <laughs> like, I was panicking. <laughs> I'm going, I don't know how to prepare myself to take this move, let alone I'm under a pane of glass and chairs and going, you know, because there's a timing of it, and, and you want to – like I said, a 300 pound man coming crashing down from, you know, 10 feet up, you know, where you're just laying there without knowing certain things is kind of scary. And um, that match and that story really elevated all of us. And, and I think at that point, like I knew Matt was going to be like the next big guy. And, you know, I think a lot of people criticize some of the booking and, and they still do, and that's going to happen. But, um, I was always one of those people like a minimalist. I don't like pushing guys right to the top right away because then you have nowhere to go with them. Yes. Like, yes, like, dude. Like, 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 I don't like – like one of those things, like me and Sammy Callahan, who is still one of my good friends, like we constantly – he always argued you never put the belt on me. And I was like, I never had to. Like you didn't need the belt. The belt didn't need you. Like you could be the main attraction and not be the champion. And at that point – my role was always to play that Vince McMahon role. Like a lot of people, like, 
you know, I get criticized because I put myself in important feuds. It's well, guess what? Everybody knows who I am and what I am. And it really worked with Matt. And it, it, it got to one of those points where when I took that bump, like I, I literally remember having the thought like, okay, I'm done. My career's over. I remember <laughs> thinking it like once, once I knew I couldn't breathe, I'm like, I don't think I can move. Maybe I broke my neck. And, and I don't know if it was just shock or whatnot. And I remember going, roll me in the ring pin me <laughs> you know i mean we've already had matches if you watch that story like the tangle web he cut it i mean he probably talked about those 200 plus stitches he got and he's yeah. like i'm hanging like a lobo he, that's what he said to me like when he's sitting there like hanging like like in bar where i just i look down at him and i'm like Ooh. you know like i'm i'm panicking because i know and he's like i'm hanging like lobo boss and i'm just like and he smiles up at me and i'm just like okay, Matt's out of his damn mind. You know, like, <laughs> and then he comes back out there and, and, you know, we improvise a finish. And um, it was one of those things where, you know, that bump, I was just sitting there thinking. And then watching that moment back, watching that crowd reaction. I mean, that was a huge crowd. I think we had like 15, 1,600 people there. Um, like you couldn't even move in, in, in Skate Zone at that time. and it was like, it, it's watching it back, watching the emotion, watching the story really play out. And I remember, I remember the very beginning of the match, like there was a problem with the door. Something broke on trying to close the door or something like that on the cage. I don't remember what it was, but I remember we were just sitting there circling for a good five minutes, just working with the crowd and just. You know, I think he was chanting like Matt was getting him to chant douchebag at me or something like that. <laughs> and like we didn't even touch. Like we could have like those the we had like that rock Hogan moment where we're just kind of like, okay, we could do anything here. And <laughs> yeah, it'll work. You know what I'm saying? And then it was like, okay, and then we built, you know, the story was 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 building to that bump and knowing we were gonna get to that. And I think we even went a little earlier than we wanted because um, I went to body slam him. And Matt, at that point, I think was wearing pants and my hand got caught in his belt. And I went to body slam him into barbed wire that was on the side wall. And I went forward and I, I got cut right here really bad. And I did not know how bad it was. And he's like, it's bad, boss. He's like, we got to go home. We got to go home. I was just like, okay, get to the spot. You know, so then we started climbing up and then, you know, then it's like, it's, it's that slow walkthrough. And I just remember, no, another step, like you're not there. And I'm just sitting there looking down going, he can't see this. And if I miss this by one inch, I'm going to get impaled. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we hit it so perfectly and it just, the landing really sucked. And <laughs> I mean, I've been in that spot before where in, in CZW too, I remember um, Tangle Web 3, I took a bump off of the top of the 16-foot ladder to the outside through the thing. Uh, and, and I went through like a pane of glass and like a barbed wire board. The board was supposed to catch me and it broke like it was like you were throwing a, a cinder block through a piece of paper. And <laughs> I hit the concrete floor. And I remember everybody running out you know, and like Devin Moore and all those guys, and they're all checking on me. And I remember saying to myself, you know, fucking Sammy, because 
I remember me and Sammy, like we're getting, like we used to get into it in matches. Like we would go at each other. And uh, I remember coming to the back and, and Devin Moore was sitting there like, he's okay. And just like, just walk in the back. And my, my girlfriend, my wife currently was uh, just like, Devin came back and said, you were okay. I thought you were dead. And like, you, you know, she was crying and I was just like, yeah, Sammy. <laughs> <laughs> so, awesome, bro. Thank you for sharing all that. Um, yeah. you know, speaking of like, you know, there's these kind of things, these bumps, doing a, a, a cage of death or doing like a tournament of death. I mean, these are very taxing on the body. You, you're, you're taking a lot of real hard bumps and it's not just hard bumps in the ring or through glass and all that it's sometimes it's onto cinder blocks sometimes it's onto stuff that really has zero give whatsoever how do you personally recover from something as taxing as like a tournament of death is there something that you specifically do in the days afterward um you know is it there are a lot of hot baths or what is it that you uh what what is your process to recover So, so sometimes when you're doing this like I've been on tours in like Japan and places like that. You don't really have that recovery stage. You know what I'm saying? You just kind of go. Right. And you know, after a tournament of death, I remember like I- I'll use the example of of TJ of Thumbtack Jack and um, Thumbtack Jack was staying with me at the time, and um, I remember afterwards, like after TOD, we're both like blood on us and you know everything and that tod was you know it was crazy it was a mess um you know everything from you know my match with him and the syringes and cinder block and to nick gage being helicoptered out and i remember we're sitting there and we just went to the waffle house after this (laughs) (laughs) we're sitting there just like eating like like just you know we didn't want to spend a lot of money so we're like just eating then you go back and that shower after any death match is the worst, especially with, mm. with like, two. yeah, because it, it like the glass just starts coming out of you, you know, and it just kind of sucks. And, you know, so one of the things like my wife and me have here at my house, I have something called deathmatch sheets specifically for our, for when I do stuff like that, because like I'll just start bleeding randomly and you never know. <laughs> and you, know, you don't want to, to get through to the bed and, and you know and stuff like that so you know we you would have that that preparation but sometimes you know sometimes you do a match like that you got to get up and do it the next day sometimes you got to be in like you know i've done king of the death match a couple of times and that's usually a couple of days and you know you do a match or two like that and then the next day you got to do it again and you know, you just kind of keep going. For me, specifically, you know, I, I'm a storyteller. I, I believe, you know, I, I am all for deathmatch wrestling. I think um, I just don't like the point of doing it just to do it anymore. I like, build, I, I like giving something a purpose. Yeah. And it, it, it's, if I'm going to go out here and I'm going to smack you in the head with a steel chair or light tubes or, or or we're going to set something on fire or I, I don't know. There, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of new ideas that I have too, for things that have not been done. Um, that if I'm going to do those things. Like I want to have a reason. 
tournament of death or something like that is the one day a year. It's like Christmas. You know, I look at that like this is the specialty show that should be that way. But then everything else should be story based. And I believe everybody should do. I believe like, you know, I've seen like, like Adam Cole, you know, I've seen Adam Cole and Sammy Callahan go out there and do craziness. You know, like they they might not have done the glass, but they've done a lot of hardcore things and things that, you know, elevated. And they had a story and a rivalry. And you can tell that to to an audience. And it. it it's one of those things that like, it just has to build to me now instead of just like, Oh, this is what we do. You know, it, I don't want a headlock to be the same as a light tube. I really don't. Um, right. Yeah. Good call. And, and I kind of think that that's what it is, but then you have the one day, you know, maybe once a year, maybe twice where it's like, these are special things. And, you know, I go to Disney with my wife every year and, 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 you know, we got married there. It's special for us. But if I was there every day, it would get boring to me. It wouldn't be. Yeah. It wouldn't be like, this is our Disney trip once a year. And <clears throat> this is what we did. Instead of just like, I'm walking around the park on. Mm, right, okay. There's nothing new here today. This sucks. And yeah, you know, it, it's, it's, I look at it that way. Um, other things that I do too is I try to be prepared. So you, you, would, you would not believe how many like hardcore guys or deathmatch guys just don't have simple things like, you know, that they need to do a deathmatch. You know? um, CZW has doctors. We have two AMTs on staff. You know, we have a whole like medical kit that we have like full of, I don't know, all kinds of things, um, stuff that I just, you know, I pay for and other people know how to use, which is a lot of things in the company. But, um, you know, I, I've been to shows where it's just like, there's, you know, it's some, somebody's wife who's just like wiping the blood off your face. And, you know, I, I, I normally have stuff with me, you know, I kind of come prepared. I, you know, I want to make sure that I'm ready. Or if you're doing a spot, like, don't trust other people just realize like people are reckless or, or they don't know, you know, like I take Matt as, as an example, as a young guy, he was just like, I'm gonna go out there and do it. Like I'm, I gotta do what I gotta do and prove that I have that, you know, the moxie to, to go out and do it instead of going, wait a minute, I should be smart about this. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, I know he's coming back to wrestling, but he's already retired and Matt's, like 30 something like he's still young you know like 32 i think and yeah. <laughs> yeah and if you see him walk around you know he, he's you know he's kind of plotty and slow and i'm just like that's because of some of the early things that come back to haunt you later like there are days mm. now where like you know i have a hard time getting out of bed you know just because like oh you know and i'm still in the ring three four times a week running training and uh and there's days where it's like okay i gotta get up it's six in the morning and my back and my hip feel like somebody just shot me in it you know it's like from like those like oh i can go out and do this you know what i'm saying like oh yeah i'll take it i got i'm okay and i think some of that as i learned was like okay be smart about it be like 
how do we, how do you make this work? You know, like Zandig and those guys taught me like there are ways to do deathmatch wrestling. You just don't go out there and do it. You're there, you know, that protect your opponent type thing was kind of drilled into my brain where it's like, hey, this guy might have a real job. He might have a family, you know, like you might have to, you know, work with him. You don't want to send him to the hospital. You want to go to the bar with him afterwards. You know, it's it's one of those things where it's like, okay, here's how you do things. Like I do a deathmatch class with all my students. You know, I do it once a month, maybe once every two months, depending, because, you know, how much stuff we have. But you need to know how to actually, like, gig instead of just, like, taking a blade and going like this. You know, you might want to know how to, you know, hey, here's why we do certain things with light tubes. You know, like light tubes, like when you break tubes, like, this is just an example. So Zandig taught me this very early on when I first started doing it, he's like, Hey, when tubes are there and you have shards that stick up, you don't want to bump on them. If they go into your spine or something, you're screwed. So you'll see, he likes to walk around a lot. And what he's really doing is he's crushing them. And then he's flicking out the ends. Good refs do that too. So that's like something that needs to get taught or like working in barbed wire. So barbed wire, it, it's real. It's not like we're using fake rubber stuff like some of these places and all that stuff. But like barbed wire can go in and go out. Like if I don't have any here, but like if I had a thumbtack, I could just put it in my head. It'll stick there and pull it out. But if you put it in and rip it, that's when it cuts. And right. same thing with light tubes. Like you want to hit in the center. You want to, you know, you don't, you don't want to swing like it's a baseball bat. You know, you, you, there are certain things you want to do that you just kind of got to be conscious of. And then as you become accustomed to doing this, it just becomes natural. You know, uh, it, it's one of those things where I don't think a lot of people are taught it and they just go out there and they just go, we're going to do this, you know? And, and instead of thinking like, hey, there's a, a repercussion of this that you might not see down the line. And... Or something like I said, like an example, deathmatch wrestling is beyond dangerous. It really is. So swinging a light tube like a baseball bat and say hypothetically a, a piece of it, and you've definitely seen this if you watch tape, goes out to a crowd. What yeah. happens if it cuts somebody in a crowd? What Then you're screwed because if they sue you, okay, you could be out of business. And I've seen this happen where fans get hurt. I mean, we've had camera guys, photographers. I mean, we all kinds of stuff. But that's also why we have releases for the talent and everybody. <laughs> but the crowd doesn't sign anything. They're yeah. there at a liability, you know. And these are things, like, you got to kind of be conscious of as a performer. And, you know, it, 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 you, you don't want to injure the well-being of somebody who's a fan, let alone your opponent, you know. It, it, it's one of those things that you got to kind of know how to do this. And early on, I felt like there was a lot of people who didn't, you know, and then through experience and through learning from the guys and asking guys and like actually doing what you should be doing in the business. I learned like, oh, here's this. Oh, here's that. This is how you do this. This is how you build this. You know, there are very 
like a lot of times when I go to other shows, if I'm going to do something very complicated, it's not like in Japan or Europe or something like that. Like, you know, Thumbtack Jack, even with the, the girls who build stuff over at WXW when we were there doing crazy stuff all the time, like I would go and say, no, it needs to be this way. You know what I'm saying? You'll see people like Masada, you know, me, you know, guys like even Thumbtack, no, it needs to be this. Why? Because I want to get up tomorrow and do this again and get paid to do it again. You know, I, I don't want to be like, oh, I got to cancel this booking and I need this money because <laughs> I'm on tour and I got to eat. So I think those are a lot of the things. Again, as I said, I know I rant. So, um, and <laughs> to be honest, I woke up, took a shower and got on the interview. So, uh, you know, it, it's the caffeine's not setting in from the bang yet. Um, but it, it's one of those things like you got to kind of, kind of figure that out. And if you just kind of go out there and randomly do it, you know, you can't do that, you know? And, and I've had people, you know, Connor Claxton is uh, one of my students. He's a tournament of that champion. Um, you know, he did the barbed wire trampoline um, and he's done the exploding barbed wire trampoline. He's done it a couple of times. So the students were wrapping it one time and he made them cut it all off there and redo it because it wasn't how it, he needed it to be because he said, if I hit this, I'm going to go straight through. It's going to cut me up and I'm not going to be able to get up and go to work tomorrow, you know? And he was completely right. And he made them cut. I mean, they spent hours doing it, but it didn't matter because it still got the job accomplished. And, you know, he added like, like tubes or something to it. And he's like, Oh, this will be cool too. But like, it was one of those things that if it would have stayed wired, how they had it, he might've just sliced right through it with his weight. So that was him being smart and intelligent and learning from the lessons that we've taught him saying, wait, no, this needs to be this way. This is not tight enough. This is not right. Take it down, you know, do it, do it the way that I want. And I remember him sitting there himself for like an hour, not even calling his first match and going, no, like here, let me show you this is how I want it. And like, he was sitting there wiring it himself just because it was like, Hey, I'm not going to die. I'm going to get hurt, but I'm not going to die, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> you guys are, are, are being this way. So like little things like that, you know, knowing how to take things, how to hit things, how to swing a chair properly is important. A lot of guys don't know how to do that, which is very apparent if you watch indie wrestling. So Yeah. No, well, thank you very much for the insight there. Very interesting stuff. And you know what? Through all that, I had a, a wonderful idea for merchandise for CCW. Um, for any fans out there that want to feel like that they've just woken up after performing in a tournament of death, you can get the exclusive CZW bloody bed sheets. You can get some bed sheets. <laughs> you can get printed uh, blood stains on it. I think that could, that would sell. For, uh... <laughs> yeah, I, I know one year we gave uh, Matt Tremont the canvas and he cut it up and, and sold it. <laughs> <laughs> Very uh, nice. Was, Why do you want this thing? It's, it's covered in blood and glass. He's like, oh. <laughs> I just want it, Waltz. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Hold it out, um, took it home in the car. <laughs> nice. Um, well, one thing my co-host Jack really wanted me to ask you about, uh, because he was uh, pretty invested in watching the angle take place. I, for one, have not seen it. I apologize, but it's the CZW Ring of Honor kind of invasion uh, angle. I know uh, WWE did this with WCW and ECW, even though they're under the same umbrella, technically didn't go very well. AEW and Impact kind of did something like that, but it never really went anywhere. 
um, something like this, an angle like this, two different companies, you know, d- different people are in charge of the companies. How do you maneuver your way through something like this where both companies are happy with the results at the end of it? Um, anybody who knows the inside of this can tell you that CZW was not happy with the results. Um, right. When it started... Everyone was excited. Um, specifically for me, too, I can remember because I was going to get an opportunity to work with a lot of guys in CZW that were more mainstays in Ring of Honor. And early on, it was going to give me an opportunity to where, hey, I'm on the lower part of the card. I can move up here. And This is, you know, there were plans that just never happened. And the conflict between Gabe and John at the time, you know, was just not good. And, you know, I remember it was supposed to go two years. Wow. And it was was supposed to be one of these things where there was a cage of death in Ring of Honor and one in CZW. And and it was kind of like both companies were going to be on top. And like, it was going to look good. Like if you look at the one and how it ended, that was in ring of honor, the guys that were in the cage were not the guys that, you know, there was no Nick Gage, there was no Zandig or white feeder or any of those guys at the time, you know, nothing against, you know, Eddie Kingston and Chris hero and those guys, but there was no, these are the CZW mainstays, you know, Uh, they were top guys in the company and they were big, huge parts of the company and phenomenal, phenomenal ass, you know, guys, but they're not what you thought of. It was like, okay, here's the ultra violence of CZW and the purest wrestling of ring of honor. And for a lot of the talents, it kind of worked out well because guys got to get to ROH and get more work like the necro butcher, um, you know, Chris hero, et cetera, et cetera. They got, you know, a lot more work for them. For the guys in CZW, I remember John was very much like we did best of the best. And it was one of those shows where we had, I think, Brian Danielson, not Brian Danielson, um, Christopher Daniels wrestled Ruckus in the finals and Ruckus went over and then like lost the world championship afterwards to, to Hero. And there were guys that were from Ring of Honor and then Ring of Honor ran a show I think it was in Edison at the time, New Jersey, which was like two hours at the same exact time that we're running one of our uh. big, big mainstay shows. Um, and the guys were double shotting and doing both. So like guys like Roger Strong and, and, you know, I think Austin Aries was in it and a couple other guys where this was a spot where CZW was going to be up, but, they were kind of like, Hey, I got to get my match and get out of here. And that's not how John was. And it's really not how I think even I am where it's like, Hey, if you're here for me, I need you here for me. And the guys are just like, all right, I'm done. I'm out. Peace. I got to get to ROH. ROH is the priority, you know? And like, I kind of see that, but it was like, no, we're working together. And I think John took that as a shot and that's where it really went downhill. When it first started, it worked so well that I think people were so excited about the angle. And for the first time in a long time, a lot of people were on the same page. 
and could see business doing well and it could really elevate all of us. And, you know, at the time, I believe also like Mike Burns was booking. Um, you probably know him from Independent Wrestling TV now. He's one of the owners there or Smartmark Video. Talk about the tape trading. Um, and, and, you know, it, he was always the go-between between Gabe and, and John. And, you know, he was the one really doing the magic at the time and then getting people like, you know, myself or Maven Bentley or, or the, you know, there's a, a number of other people that I could sit there and say that were behind the scenes, like really at John's ear. And, and, and it was one of those things that, that like, it just went really bad at the end for CZW because ROH got a lot of the benefit from it because they got a lot of our top talent, which we ended up losing in the long run because they had a bigger budget than we did. And right. it was also nice where Necro could go out there, get paid more, do well, and then not have to come out and bleed. You know, he just go out and, you know, punch a couple people. And, and it really, really, you know, in the end was disappointing. You know, because then all the plans had to change. Everything had to be rebooked and redone. And it, it was kind of like, well, this sucked. And I can remember, like, I can remember seeing conversations between John and Burns. And it was like, it was like, no, I'm not doing it. And John was very, you know, he, he he's very much a certain way. And there is no changing his mind on something. You know, if he thinks this is what it is, you know, and he was very standoffish, it, it, us against the world type thing. And, you know, he didn't already like Ring of Honor. They were, they were the, uh, the competition, you know. So it's, it, it was one of those things where it just went bad. And his whole thing was, well, me and Ann always makes the talent. Gabe just buys them. That was what he would say behind the scenes all the time. I used to hear it weekly. And... I guess that's kind of how it is. Cause like I said, like I can sit here and say, well, CZW's had all these stars, but they're all at AEW and WWE now, you know, or impact <laughs> or, or, or some of that and going, well, yeah, we may have done the work, but what are the boys going to do? They're going to, they're going to do what's best for them. You know, they're going to take the, you know, what's best for them and their family and you can't fault them for that. But I don't think that was ever John's vision. I think John's vision was always like, this is my crew. And yeah. these are my boys and CZW is going to rise up and take over the world and, you know, so on and so forth. Right. Wow. Interesting. Thank you for the insight there. Had no idea that all of that kind of drama took place, but uh, happy to hear about it. So just, you know, I love learning stuff in this show, bro. Um, speaking of John, there's a time where you, you want to buy the company from John um, I don't know anything about what led to this or anything like that. Um, obviously, you've been taking a big interest behind the scenes. Um, how did it come about where it was like, okay, like uh, this is something that probably should happen? Um, I'll try to tell the short version of this story because, I, as I said, I tend to ramble and rant. But um, <laughs> so prior to that, I had some opportunities with World Wrestling Entertainment. Um, you know, a lot more prior to that, you know, years prior to when I took over. Um, I messed those up pretty bad on my own accord. And um, which is another story for another day. 
And I had already been doing a bunch of things behind the scenes. I was a trainer at the school at the time with Dahmer. Um, I was, you know, doing a lot of the merch, um, helping find talent, you know, because I would go out and, and say, well, what about this guy, this guy? And, you know, yada, yada, yada. There were a lot of guys that, like, you find the diamonds in the rough and, you know, kind of get them an opportunity, you know, get John to take a chance on him. And, um, you know, we had a tournament of death scheduled and it was one of those things where I had already at that point with Maven ran some charity shows and I had all these ideas of what I thought wrestling should be. Um, I still, to this day, after a decade plus of running the company, still have not accomplished what I think wrestling should be, but I had all these ideas and, and, you know, I had all these great talents around me and people who, you know, were my friends and, and stuff. And I was trying to do like some small stuff for like charity and stuff. And, um, I just thought it was like a good idea and it was kind of fun, you know, and I was getting a lot of younger guys, you know, opportunities and, and things like that, you know, uh, like Joe Gacy's first match was on a charity show. He wrestled LJ Cruz. Um, and then Tournament of Death happened. John had a building in Delaware. And in like two weeks prior to the event or something like that, it might have been a little earlier, the whole thing fell apart. Like all of it. Um, and that was, you know, when I wrestled Thumbtack Jack and, and all that. Like the first time down on my family's farm where I lived in Delaware. I was the only person who lived down here. And I went and just, you know, normally I'm the king of making shit happen. I just figure it out. <laughs> Whatever I got to do, that's what you got to do. And, you know, I got the permits. I got, you know, I did everything. And then we pulled it off. And John said to me, I guess the week after, you're going to make a, a good promoter something. And I think prior to that, like, prior to TOD, we drew like the worst house I think we've ever drawn. And business was down. John had a lot of personal stuff going on in his life. And, you know, it was one of those things where it started off by him saying, you're going to make a good promoter something. And then I was like, oh, see. And then like, I was kind of like, well, maybe we could start a smaller side project it's like the younger guys and like I've been involved in those with a number of different companies where it's like, it's more project stuff that I like to. Um, and then from there, I think maybe a month after, again, we didn't do well. And John was like, shut it down. And, and, and it was to me at that point in my life, you know, I was in my thirties. I was thinking to myself, I was, I was already thinking like, what am I going to do at 50 years old when I can't do this anymore? Although there are guys out there still doing it <laughs> I'm at 50 plus years old, you know, I'm, I'm watching Chris Jericho and sting at 62 out there. So it's, uh, <laughs> you know, um, it, it's, it's one of those things where I was sitting there thinking, okay, what am I going to do? What do I want? And the conversation came up, well, what would you want for? And then from there, it was, 
okay, how am I going to pull this off? How am I going to, am I going to do this? And then I mortgaged my grandmother's house and, you know, my family helped me. And I said, I I want, you know, I want to do this. This is what I want to do. And I mortgaged my grandmother's house. I bought the company and made a couple investments. And at that point we still had the arena and, you know, I had a good relationship with pretty much everybody behind the scenes at that time. And, you know, I had the support and the team that I needed. And I think John was looking at it like, okay, DJ is one of my guys. I'm going to pass this off to him. I'm going to take the money. You know, he had to handle, like I said, he had some personal things and that's John's business. And, and it kind of went from there. Cause like, even with John, I was like, Hey, we need a contract. And he was like, why? <laughs> and I was just like, <laughs> you know, and again, I come from the business and banking world where it was like one of those things, like, you know, I believe the original contract was like maybe four pages and it was so crammed because John wanted it. So like basically done where it was like, okay, I can understand this. And it, it was, it was kind of a struggle. And we went back and forth on a couple of things and then he signed it. And then I remember he did not want to be paid in a check. I paid him in cash. And I was like, I'm not going to carry around. This. Like I can't carry around this much money. Like this is insane. <laughs> you know? And, and then John was also very adamant on how he was going to do his exit. And you know, like, like when he gave me the company, he wanted to do it in front of the audience. He wanted to, which I actually thought was a bad idea, but I wasn't telling John that. Um, as I said earlier in the interview, I thought John was kind of like a father figure at times. And, you know, a lot of people looked up to John because John just had a presence. You know, he had a way about himself. He still does. You know, when you talk to him, like, even when I talk to him, I feel like it was like talking to my dad you know, where it's like, this is your father and you have to have a certain respect for him, even now, you know, <laughs> where our relationship is much different now. And it's, uh, it was one of those things where it's like, okay. And you could see how hard it was for him. And I just think he was burned out at that time and really done. And, and at that time I had so many fresh ideas and, and things I wanted to do. And I, you know, I had a lot of, had a lot of support and I was so gun ho about it. And, and, and I, I did make some of the changes in, in ways that I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. And then realizing very early on, like, Oh my God, I need help with this. I don't have like, how am I booking this? I don't have this experience. And I remember at that time, that's when Evolve was starting. And I remember I called Gabe and I remember thinking, well, Gabe's always been good to me. He's always given me good advice and, you know, stuff. And I was thinking, man, if Gabe Sapolsky was the booker of CZW, this would be <laughs> freaking insane. Like, just because Gabe had all this experience, you know, he's a Paul Heyman guy. It, it, it was one of those things where it was like, okay. And he knows, he knew nothing about hardcore wrestling. You know, I mean, he still probably doesn't. I and mean, I haven't talked to him in a couple of weeks, but it was like, it, it's one of those things like just having that. And then uh, I reached back out to Mike Burns. And that was kind of how, you know, in the beginning it was like, Hey, this is what I want to do. And then me and him kind of had roles and, 
you know, early on. And, and it kind of went from there when I first took over. And John just, when he got out, he got out, you know, until many years later. And it was one of those things that just, for me, was kind of mind-blowing. I also remember, like, John didn't tell anybody I was buying the company either. Like, within the company. Like, nobody knew but, like, me, Maven, <laughs> Michael Panko, Sean. Like, like the core, like, behind-the-scenes group. Like, not even most of my friends and the people that I was on, you know, on the road with at weekend, week out knew at that time. But maybe a few people. I think Joker and Black G's knew. Because I was those were my running buddies very early on. And, um, you know, it was one of those things like once it happened, we got to the back and I think like four people quit. <laughs> and, oh, John's done. I'm done. Uh, DJ's doing this. He's just some stupid kid, you know? And it was like, okay, I'll figure it out. I'll find more people and, and, and move from there. Right, bro. Um, at this time, I know I've taken up a bit of your time. I just wanted to see if uh, uh, how much time you, you might have left. I know you're a busy guy. I got all day, actually. I am uh, wife-free. She's at her mom's. Um, we're doing a taping tomorrow, and uh, it's thunderstorming outside, so I'm not doing it. <laughs> so I can <laughs> Okay, cool, bro. I, I just uh, I I want to always make sure that I'm, I'm not imposing too much time on people. I'm having a lot of fun, by the way. This is uh, really uh, excellent stuff. So uh, I appreciate it, bro. Um, okay, so this is the second surreal life moment that we've we've uncovered here. You're now the the uh, the owner of the company that you you would uh, debut for in 2003. Fantastic stuff. Wanted to bring uh, it to this kind of interesting subject because I. Geez, I think it was in the Vice documentary or, or one of the documentaries I'd seen about CZW that there was this like perceived hatred from some of the fans towards you that I didn't really understand. Was it because like John had the way that he did things and they always expected it to be that way? Then you come in and you've got fresh ideas, want to do things a little bit differently. Is this where that kind of thing came from? Because like I remember saying some of this stuff and then, you know, chanting whatever it was that they were chanting about you um, and saying about you, how did that make you feel? And where did this come from? Um, I mean, I, I have a lot of opinions on it. To be honest, though, I don't really know how it started. Um, I think, one, I was not John. And I was kind of the opposite of John. I was very much like, okay, I'm going to come in. I want to get on TV. I want to, you know, I want to run a wrestling company. I made guys like, you know, Robert Anthony, the world champion, and not Nick Gage. And, you know, <laughs> I, I, I had a bit of a, you know, a changing of the guard in, in, in mindset, even in the creative set. And it wasn't what they've known for a decade and they loved, you know. And I looked at it like, okay, what do I want to do? You know, I, I just talked about what I believe wrestling is. I believe in yeah. something forever. I believe in the buffet, you know? Um, so when I go to a wrestling show, I don't want to see the same thing for eight matches. I don't want to see the same type of guys. I, I want like, oh, here's a Lucha match. Here's, 
here's you know a great technical match and and here's all these great characters that do all this different stuff and then you come up with these like like here's this hardcore guy and this great mat technician you know and like that's interesting to me and then tell these long-term stories because the stuff that really gets over isn't really like just oh here's this match and it was great because you're gonna see great matches all the time yeah it's it's these characters Steve Austin's and Hogan's and, and, and the rocks and, you know, and flares. It wasn't just like, Oh, they're great wrestlers. It was, they were believable characters that, that could cut amazing promos, you know, and could back it up in the ring. And, you know, they were the total package. They didn't always have to look the best on the independence. They didn't have to be like the traditional, like, you know, Vince McMahon guy type, you know, where you got to be in shape and stuff. It helps, but it didn't have to be that. And they have to be open to elevating stories to do like a death match. Like one of my favorite moments early on in CZW was Robert Anthony wrestled uh, John Moxley in a, for the world title at a death match. And instead of Rob taking a pane of glass, he picked up a chair and threw the chair through a pane of glass. And the crowd hated it so much. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, fantastic. Like, this, is, this is great. Or like MJF uh, was, was, I pushed that kid to the moon, you know? I mean, he started in our dojo program and, you know, he's a creative pro student and, and he would sit here and I just kept seeing something in him and, you know, booking the blade and, and, and cherry bomb or, Pepper Parks at the time and Cherry Bomb, which is Allie and the Blade, and just going, oh no, I'm going to book you, bring you guys down here from Buffalo, and you guys are just going to go out here and look like a million dollars because they don't look like the traditional, you know, CCW guys. You're going to dress very nicely, you know, you know, nice little button-up, you know, you're going to wear a dress, you know, you're going to look like stars, not like, I mean, just some ratty t-shirt and whatever. And you're just going to cut promos for six months. <laughs> you know, it, it was one of those things where like a lot of people were looking at me going, well, you're paying these. What, what are you doing? That's a waste of time and money where I was going, no, I'm trying to build this um, in my head. And I think that the crowd kind of turned on that. The other thing too, was once John said, no, you're the boss. I went from being a guy who has been in main events to where now I'm, that I'm that guy, you know what I'm saying? I'm the, he, for some reason the he wanted the audience to know, like, like, I think he had good intentions at the time saying, no, this is the guy now listen to him. You know what I'm saying? I think that's what he was trying to do. The passing of the torch moment. And it was like, I was already the bad guy. I had like already like, tried to kidnap his grandson type you know what i'm saying like like, <laughs> like we had already like like done stuff that like was not ethical and i know at that time too prior to that when i thought like okay hey I, i'm in the cage of death and and I, I i've been in these situations i've been in these main angles if i'm going to be the bad guy i can't just go up to the line and stop i have to cross it and I also didn't placate into what society is, has come to. It's like, there's drama on me right now. All, you know, which the audience, they don't know David Markle. 
they know DJ Hyde. They know what somebody says. You know, Twitter, this person says this. I don't get on Twitter and defend myself. I don't, I don't feel, you know, I, I never got into that. The message board started hating on me. And it was like some of them knew me. And then they would know me behind the scenes. And I'm also kind of going like, okay, when I'm in this environment, I got to be the boss. They don't sit where I sit. They don't go, oh, wait, do I do this dumb wrestling thing that would be cool and all, but I'm probably not going to make the money? Or do I pay my mortgage this month? Which one am I going to go with? You know, yeah. and, and, and it, would, it would get into to certain situations where it was like, you know, while this is great and cool and people will like it, is it going to make us money? And because if it doesn't, I don't want to do this, you know, because of these reasons, you know, because at the end of the day, I got to pay the rent. You don't. You get to go home and, and go online and complain. And then when I did acknowledge stuff like that, I kind of buried it. I was kind of just like, screw them, you know, like they're, they're idiots. They're sitting at home, you know, they're sitting at home in their basement. You know, you, you got to go on and talk. You don't know the real me at all. Yeah. And, you know, even a lot of the stuff that's out there on me, like I wish a lot of it was the actual truth, but at times I am the bad guy. So even when Mike Burns came in and took over the booking, we had a, roles to play he was good cop i was bad cop. i was the guy who would say no you're not doing it you know because at the end of the day even if we were both on the same page he had to look away to us to the to them he was the guy trying to go to bat for you and i was going to be the bad guy behind the scenes and i was also going through that where i was one of the boys to now i'm their boss i'm your peer to now I'm telling you what to do. And some of these guys know me and they were just like, screw you, DJ, shut up. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> like why, why are you trying to, why are you trying to big league me? And another issue that I had is a lot of these people were friends with a lot of the audience and we would always need help in other avenues. Like there's a lot of people in wrestling now that like should not be in wrestling, you know, and you're just going, okay, this guy has a skill okay, so what? He's a mark. Who cares? You know, like we need this skill. So we're just going to bring him in. And that guy's going to feel special because like, yeah, I'm part of the crew. And then you don't realize that he's talking to all those friends of his and he's only seeing tidbits of stuff. You know, it's, it's one of those things where they don't know the real stories and and the whole situation, but then they see the one, you know, obstacle that is there or the one like, okay, this is the negative thing or it gets blown out of proportion or the wrong person says something. And then I'm just kind of going, why, you know, and, and I was always taught early on the kayfabe wasn't not letting audience know that wrestling is not fake. They've known hundreds of years that, you know, what it is. It's not, especially now <laughs> kayfabe was keeping people out of the business that don't belong. And when people were fans or marks, I would tell them, look, you sit on this side of the guardrail. I don't. And, and I was very adamant about it and I never really put it correctly. 
Um, one of my biggest downfalls is, again, I work in a banking environment. And when I'm in that role, I know how to talk to people. When I'm in control and I'm the boss, I just don't care. And I don't say things very professionally. I'll, I'll say things in such layman's terms, you know, because that's the audience I've been around. I'm not going to just bullshit it with you and just, you know, I'm not going to use big words and, and over explain <laughs> it to you. I'm going to explain it to you like we're out on the street and this is just how it is. And, and I'm going to be a, pretty much an asshole about it. And that's, doesn't come off very well. Um, one of the things in the last year since COVID started, I have really, really learned is I don't understand that when I talk, how I make people feel. And not that I have bad intentions, not that I am trying to be malicious about a situation, but when you're telling somebody negative things and not giving them critical feedback that they need, not knowing how they are as a person, just assuming, even if you're like, oh, this is my friend, I could say that to them. You know, because I've said things where I'll set it up. Do you want me to say it as me or do you want me to say it as a promoter? Because I can, I know how to do both. But promoters going to use these big words that people I've literally seen there and they get this like, huh? You know, like, look, what are you talking about? You know, look. And then as me, I'll just put it to you like, look, this is how it is. And this is how it's going to be. And then you come across and, and being in a position of power, they're going to make, you know, you make you feel uncomfortable. Going to a wrestling fan and saying, you're a mark, shut up and pay your money. Especially playing a character role that's supposed to be like, not just a bad guy, but like, you're the bad guy. You know what I'm saying? Like, you are the guy who is the biggest piece of trash. And then, like, you didn't just come up to the line and, like, push me. You crossed the line. Because that was my MO. My MO was going to be, how am I going to be different? How am I going to generate real heat? You know? And, and I teach people this. Like, like, in wrestling matches, most people think it's, it's good versus bad. And, and like the bad guy beats up the good guy to get heat from the audience. That's not really what heat is. It, 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 it's, it's an emotion. It's that like, it's a want. It's making them want something and trying to take it away from them. And that was even my role. And then when you become, try to become the good guy as a character, like it's hard because good guys make promises and they have to fulfill them. And they don't understand like, the business behind it. you know like like to your audience you're a good guy if if i said hey man 20 minutes before our interview i couldn't be on you'd have been like oh crap you know like that happens you know it was one of those things like when we first brought onita to the u.s which was a huge deal okay there were so many people going is this really going to happen even me up until like he showed up I was even like, <laughs> okay, is he getting on the plane? Like, I was literally like, did he get up? Like, can you guys send me a picture of you in the Philadelphia airport? You know, like, I was literally <laughs> like, like panicking. You know, when you fly guys in nowadays, especially now, like, like you're wondering, okay, is this flight going to make it? Or, you know, are there, is there weather issues or, 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 or something? Or what about a, a flight delay, you know, or, you know, did their car break down or, you know, there's tons of that going on where you're always kind of like in that mode. 
And when you promise something or you allude to something, you got to deliver. And there's been times where I haven't been. And then people look at it like it's a bait and switch. And I always looked at it like it's card subject to change. You know, it's, it's business is going good. You think things are going to happen. And then all of a sudden somebody gets a better offer or a better deal. And they're just like, no, no, you know, I, I mean, I can't tell you how many times are like guys are just like, Hey man, um, I got signed. And I'm like, I already know. Why didn't you tell me like three months ago? Cause I don't know when you're leaving, you know, or going, Hey man, I, I took this booking and, and I forgot about it. And okay. And then when you don't want to work with them anymore to the boys, you become a bad guy or when the boys, when you go, Hey, why, you know, this guy's great. He's a great talent, but like, I always looked at things like, is the juice worth the squeeze? You know, it's, so if I have to say a guy's out there and he charges a hundred dollars, which isn't bad, you know, and that's his, you know, his price or whatnot. But then he lives in like, I don't know, Kentucky, you know, take, I'll use John Wayne Murdoch as an example, because he lives out that way. And, and I love, I love Murdoch's. Um, so Murdoch's not just a hundred dollar guy. You got to get him here. You know what I'm saying? So then you got to get him here. Well, what's that going to cost? Then you probably don't want him to come by himself. So you're going to have to use somebody else. Okay. Cause Nobody wants to take that drive by themselves. Or if you don't have him drive, you got to fly him. And flights are ridiculous right now. Um, you know, and then it was like, oh, okay, here's, then you got to get him here. Okay, wait. Uh, so if I fly him, I can't fly him back after the show. So it's got to be the next day. So then I got to get him a hotel. So you're talking a hundred dollar guy is jumping to like $700 really quick. Mm-hmm. And is he going to generate that much? revenue to just to cover him but then as a business person you're always taught you know okay well you got to make that times two you know in wrestling and usually they say times three in wrestling but like you gotta you gotta generate that kind of money from booking this guy i don't think anybody on the independent scene can do that you know now with things like you know i pay per view and stuff there's there's a lot of other sources of revenue but you know, even the bigger companies are always struggling and, and, and trying to get, you know, whatever smoke and mirror shortcut they can do to save some money, you know, they can because they just aren't making it. You know, it's, it's hey, I'd really love to, you know, I'd love to go back to, to the 2300 or ECW arena and run every single show there. Well, I was paying $2,000 to run there and had our school there. Now they want seven just to turn the keys, just, just to turn the lights on, let alone production and you got to rent a truck and, you know, get the ring there and all that stuff. You know, see, so you're talking at 20 bucks a pop just to rent the place. You need 350 people. That's just for rent. That's before I pay anything. Yeah. You Shit. know what I'm saying? So, so it's gotta, it's gotta be do- done that way. So then when you wouldn't want to do things or you're not in a position to do things and I would just go, well, I'm not doing that. Or, you know, go like after a while, I'd be like, go screw off. When I'm going, I can't pay my rent. You know, when I'm trying to rob Peter to pay Paul at home, that's when I start having a problem. But then you're making up like, you know, you're trying to talk business. I used to call it promoter talk. And 
you would kind of talk promoter talk. You know, it's like where a guy who has tremendous talent sends you an email. Hey, man, I want to come in. You got any bookings? I'm open this day. And yada, yada, yada. I'm in town and, you know, this is my rate and whatnot. And then you're just like, I got nothing for you. And you don't really give me any feedback or anything like, you know, I mean, I know what these guys cost. It's not, it's, it's, are they going to generate this revenue? You know, or is, is this, go, is the juice going to be worth the, worth the squeeze? Like the first time I brought Onita in, I had to bring, not just him, I had to bring his guys and his wife. So, and it wasn't just bringing them. It was, well, I had to buy them flights. I had to, you know, I had to do all this stuff. And I'm going, okay, this is history. I'm, I'm giving Matt his match. Are we going to sell this many tickets? Well, yes, we did. But the second time I did it, it wasn't. You know, it wasn't as much as worth it. And, you know, we don't have sponsors and we don't have, you know, big money marks and, you know, business guy. We have, we have me. You know, I've had people help me when I get really in trouble, but I don't want to have to go to people and be like, uh, hey, can I borrow like a thousand dollars? I got to make payroll. Hey, man, I can't pay you today because I, I had to pay Ricky Shane Page or something, you know, like can I give it to you on Friday. If, you know, when I get, you know, this money or something like that, where I use, you know, that money to pay the rent on the building or something. You know, I don't ever want to be in those situations. And a lot of wrestling promoters have done that. And. I also am very big on quality above quantity. I don't want to run in just some crappy warehouse. Like, I don't want it to look like crap. I, I care yeah. about production. You know, like, I love AEW, but, man, their camera work is terrible. Like, oh, man. don't get me started on that, bro. That's, uh, that's one of my pet peeves with AEW is the, uh, the, the camera work. It's you don't, show, you don't show when guys miss something or blown spots where guys blading, like, like blatantly. Yeah. Like Blake, like, like you're pro, like you're the, the second biggest wrestling company on the planet right now. You don't do stuff like that. But then I'm looking at the talent and the crew they got there. And I'm just like, it's mind blowing. You know, you're, you're, you're changing the industry, but like, how can something stupid like this? Cause you got to get the casual fan. That's why your numbers are still staying at a million and SmackDown's doing 2.1. Cause yeah. they should be doing, they should be doing huge numbers with that talent. And I kind of think that, that that was that. And then I'm also very opinionated. And I'm outspoken. Like, I used to do a ton of interviews. To be honest, you're the first interview I've probably done in a year plus. And oh, thank you know, you, I've bro. kind of avoided, <laughs> yeah, no worries. I've kind of avoided doing a lot of stuff. You know, I don't tweet. I don't get in that social media stuff because they just hate me. They know nothing about me. They know that this person said this about DJ, blah, blah, blah. Okay, great. Cool. They said that. And? What do you want me to do? Get into, uh, you know, I, I don't like getting into that, that, that pissing contest with people like, Oh, yeah. you know, like I got a bigger penis than you. Okay, cool, man. Good for you. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that's nice. So you're doing cool stuff. Cool, man. Great. I'll do my thing. You go do yours. Leave me the hell alone. I'm, I'm, I'm quite all right with it. And in wrestling, too, drama cre is great. Like, a lot of times the, the fans want me to, to do a lot of different things, and they want to see things. They want, they want, they want. They don't know the reasons why I don't do things. You know, I don't, I don't come out and go, well, I can't work with this person because I don't trust them. 
or I can't work with this person because they're not reliable. Or they, you know, hey, we've done business in the past and they screwed me over. So I just don't want to take that risk, you know, or, you know, hey, we just can't afford it. (laughs) You know, it would be great if we had the money. I mean, if you guys want to lend us the money, well, you want Nick Gage here? Great. You want him to come back to CCW? This is what it's going to take. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, it, it's, and, and I don't have that. You know, if I had it and I was making it, I'd reach out and go, hey, man, what's up? You know, want to get booked? But we don't have those means. Or I'll feel like, well, I would rather take that money and invest it here. You know, I would rather go, okay, well, do I pay, you know, a reliable camera person or do I just book your buddy because, you know what I'm saying, he wants another $100 and it makes you happy. And if I don't book him, you're going to be like, oh, screw DJ. Like, and then I'd be like, maybe I just don't think, you know, maybe I don't see it. And just because I don't see it now doesn't mean you won't have it in the future. It just, who, what's an average indie drawn? Even a good indie is drawn 500 people. You know, in the U.S. Okay, well, when I broke in, people were drawing thousands all the time. And 500 people, that ain't paying the rent a lot of times. Like I said, you run the arena, you need 350 just to walk in the door. Yeah. Let alone, you know, talent, production, promotion. I mean, to run a website, to run social media, your advertising, which is, you know, it is big. It's, you know, and then also spending the most valuable commodity we have, time. You know, it, it, it's one of those things like you have to have the time. Hey, man, Vice did three documentaries on me. They've done all kinds of stuff. If I didn't answer those phone calls and those emails and go back and forth 20 different times and blew them off or whatnot, that opportunity might not have been there. I had to sacrifice that time, you know, to do things. And I think that to, to circle back to the original question, I think that's where the audience really turned on me. And I never was the good guy. I never was the rah-rah. It was very corporate. It was very, and I took that mindset of going, how am I going to get to where my, my, my big goals are? Because what we're doing isn't working. And I'm still in that mode. Here I am 12 years later owning the company. And I'm still going, well, what we're doing just ain't, it ain't, you know, I ain't blowing up and, and a millionaire, you know. I'm, I'm still living in my grandmom's house with my wife, you know, trying to pay the mortgage <laughs> that I put in, you know, 12 years ago. You know, I'm still, I'm still like. You know, I'm financially okay, but like, I'm not like, man, I can retire and I'll be okay. Like, I'm not in that position. So, or, you know, we need to make invest. We need a new canvas or, or, you know, we need, oh crap. One of the screens went out, you know, I mean, you you know, you know how much lights cost? Like, like it's ridiculous. You got to have that investment. And, and and I I don't have that. So I don't feel comfortable. And, And I took it very corporate and I think the crowd hated that because CZW was underground. CZW was cool. Like AW is kind of the old CZW where I went, well, that's great that we're running the arena, 
Why are we not running arenas this size all over the country? Why are we not on TV? Why are guys like, look at this talent. Like it's insane. You know, why are guys not blowing up? And in my head, uh, in my head, I was uh, very much like, Oh crap. Like, how am I going to do this? Well, I got to make changes. And sometimes you're just like, okay, what's going to work. And once the audience already had an opinion on me, I couldn't change it. And, you know, perception is reality. And it's, it's one of those things, like when you go on the first date, that's not the real you, you know, you get that girl or that guy, (laughs) you know, or, or whatever it is. I mean, he, they, I mean, the world has changed, but you, you go out on that first date, you got your hair nice, you're wearing a nice shirt, you know, you're not like I just walked out of the gym and I smell and my hair is like all messed up and you know, but you're, you're not your representative. Like, yeah, and whatever her perception is on you is gonna dictate the rest of whatever the relationship comes from. Same thing when you go to a job interview. That's not the real you. You know, you're in a suit and you're you know, it's like I said, I come from banking. But yet I go out and bleed and wear spandex. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's 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 not it, it's a facade, and and the audience really got a perception on me. They don't really get to know the real me. And then when I do interviews and stuff like this, they kind of like go, "Well, that's not how it was, and that's bullshit." Or this person said that. Okay, that's how they perceived it. It's not how I viewed it at the time, or I remember it because that's how I felt at the time, or what I thought, and. You know, to them, I need to, you know, when you started seeing me on shows, I was wearing a suit, you know, I'd go out there and as the boss and I'd have a suit on or, or a button up shirt or something look like a business person because that's a character role. And I want to give that impression because say that sponsor does come in or like, you know, we've had plenty of times where the fire marshal or the cops or somebody showed up. Well, guess what? They're going right to the guy that's in a suit and take me more serious than like if I'm some guy wearing, you know just some shorts with a fanny pack, you know, like it's, <laughs> it, it, they're not, they're not going to, they're not going to take that, you know, from me. If, if I'm just that guy who looks like everybody else and the audience rejected it because that was not what CZW was to them. You know, CZW was ultra violence. John will even tell you it was never ultra violence. It was always both of us trying to do that. Something for every wife beater, you had a trend acid. Yeah, you know, for every Nick Gage, you had an Adam Cole. You know, it 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 just goes on and on and on. You know, of how many guys that are out there, and now with things like AEW and NXT and stuff like that, you're seeing these guys get on these platforms now that have all been through us, and and it's really like like been one of those guys like now where my reputation is so bad like guys don't want to even put me over because they're afraid. Like I have guys right now that I have put a lot of work in to help them get where they, they currently are. And, and they'll just be honest with me. Like DJ, like, I don't know, man, like right now the rep and you know, I'm kind of nervous or like, Hey, this guy that I work for runs a lot of shows and I don't want to lose bookings because I'm working for you because I got to pay my rent and I can respect and understand that, but I'm going, Hey, remember the last four years where you know, nobody was using you. And I was, I was like, come down to school and, and like, we'll work, we'll figure it out. I see something in you. 
we'll figure it out together, you know? And now it's like, okay, Hey, you're gone places. Hi, I'm still here. Remember that guy? You know what I'm saying? Like, and that's tough. You know, it, it, it really is tough. And, and I think that's really what it is, man. I go on rants, don't I? Man, I just, <laughs> it's fine. Uh, right but, I'm loving this stuff. It's good. But, but I think that's really what it is. And now the reputation is, you know, I read the social media stuff and people who have never met me, never checked me out, never have an opinion on me. And they don't know anything. They just know what they heard or what this guy said. Okay. Well, you don't know the things I know about. You know what I'm saying? You don't know like, Hey, I was there for this. I remember what, I, I remember what really happened, but I'm not going to go out and say, say it because I have a certain respect, not just for the business, but for myself and for those people not to go out and bury them or say, well, this guy was doing this. I'm not going to get into that. Cause that's, that's to me, that was always unprofessional and that's how I was taught. And in society today, that's not how it is. <laughs> you know, like there's ca cancel culture there. They're trying to can cancel you because you, you, you said something bad or you did this. Yeah, I have. And when I mess up and you guys say, Hey, you did this and you should have did it. I will say, Hey, I screwed up. I made a mistake. I'm sorry. But yeah. when it's like, when it's like, Hey, this was out of my control. They're going to, well, it was in your control. You shouldn't have done it. Blah, 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 blah. You don't, trying to pay the bills <laughs> you know like you don't know where i sit it's it's one of those things like man sometimes like maybe you don't want to work at mcdonald's but if that's what you got to do because you got to pay the rent and put food on your, your the plate that's what you got to do and trust me i've been there so end of rent we'll move on <laughs> <laughs> excellent bro and and i just want to say first and foremost fuck cancel culture I do not. I do not like the way things are going with that kind of thing. Um, I wanted to bring this to back to John because there's obviously a very important angle that I that I'd like to bring up. Um, and and I wanted to see like how you you would kind of like map this out because it's an interesting angle. Uh, it's a story where you know he he came back to take the company back from you, and there was a scene where you looked like you were going to be buried alive, and if he didn't quit then you know you were going to get buried alive which was incredibly confronting and you sold it like it was actually real loved it um when you have an angle like this did you know where you wanted the angle to head to after this because at some point obviously you're gonna to have to revert back to dj Heisen and control the company because john's probably only going to be doing this angle for a certain amount of time before he he's ready to to relax again um we did have a direction with it Never got there, but um, John actually wasn't going to leave the company either. He was, um, so at that point, I kind of, and the people behind the scene kind of already knew how an audience and how people perceived me. And it was in a negative light. And it wasn't just, oh, he's the bad guy and we're going to go out there and go boo and all that. It was like, oh no, he's a bad person. You know, don't do business with him. It was affecting business and we were kind of, going to use John and, you know, as a, as a figurehead, instead of me going out there being the bad character, making matches, 
John had the charisma in the audience just to go out and cut a promo and, you know, kind of be the general manager kind of role or whatever you want to call yeah. it. And that was going to be the long term, like super like years down the line. The the short term angle was it was going to he was going to take the company over and it was we were going to have loopholes and it was going to be the old guard versus the new guard. The originals versus the next generation in a big cage of death match, which it would have been John. We had wife beater and Lobo on board, Nick Gage. Um, I think there's one more. It was going to be a five on five. I know that. And we had this, this, you know, this huge idea of this contraption we were going to build. And the whole idea was the passing of the torch. And it was going to be like me, Danny Havoc, Matt Tremont. Uh, I think Ricky Shane Page was in on it at that point. I think that – and somebody else. I'm trying to remember who the original guys were. I have it written down somewhere. Um, but uh, the idea was we were going to build to that. And there was going to be a power struggle. And – we didn't want to hot shot it. So it was going to start that year, but then not that cage of death. The following cage of death was when it was going to happen. And it was supposed to be a long, long-term build similar to the ROH angle. And I realized that John had the, the crowd, you know, they believed in him and it was like, how do we get, how do we get these people back? We'll get them to believe that John's doing things. And with John being there, it changed the environment. Because again, people looked at John differently than they looked at me. They still do. And it was an illusion that now John was part of the office. John had say, you know, I, I would say, what are your thoughts? You know, it doesn't mean I would go in that direction, but I would, I would value his opinion because he could come back and say, well, we can do this and it'll get him over. Just let him do this thing. Don't let him do all the other crap. Tell him, you know, I'll go tell him, you know, and, and then John was also, and still is very money motivated. So it kind of fell apart. And I mean, the people that really know John know he kind of disappears at times. I mean, he's, he's John, you know, I mean, there were shows where even when John was in charge, he would show up right before the show started. Nobody would know what's going on. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, but, like, there there were plenty of times where it was like you're, you're just throwing stuff together and, and putting it out there where I am not that. Um, and it, it, it was definitely a challenge because we didn't have a big budget. And we were trying to do a lot of stuff with John and trying to bring back that image of that. And then John had some ideas that we were just kind of letting him do and they weren't really working, not financially. And after a while, I think that really got into a conflict where it was like, John, we can't bring in 10 extra guys and pay them all and give them trans and all this just for them to go out there and do that and still run, a, you know, an eight, 10 match card it's just not happening. You know, like we don't, we don't, we don't have that. So either we're going to have to cut some guys, which is going to cause issues too. And 
you know, if you don't use a guy, like they'll go somewhere else. You know, they, they just want booked and paid and there's nothing wrong with that. But like, then when you do need them, they're not going to be there for you. And that was kind of like, like it was a struggle. And I think John was in a point where it's like, I want to do this again. Like he wanted to come back and, you know, bring it all back. And, you know, he wanted to relive it and it didn't last very long, but it was, I was thinking of it like, no, we're going to, John's going to be the face. I can now come to the back and not have to be out there except for when I'm in a match or in an angle. Now I don't have to go out there and make announcements and, Hey, this is what we're doing because John had the trust of the people. I had lost them. And we never really had that guy that we could go, okay, this is that guy. And they would believe not like I couldn't just book a guy and make him that guy. It's no, they believed in John. And if John said it, it was, it was word. And then if it didn't happen, they would like, Oh, it's John. Don't worry about <laughs> it. You know, and, and if it was DJ, if DJ said it and it didn't happen, that bastard, that son of C, he's a liar. And, and not knowing, you know, those things. And, and, and then again, you know, in the long run, it ended up falling apart. And then it became a, well, it was DJ's fault. Again, I don't have control over what people do or say and, you know, what motivates them and how they feel. So it, it just, you know, it's another black eye on something that I had no control over where it was like, oh, here's this good thing and this great idea we had where, you know, we had countless meetings and, you know, times where like, you know, we'd be, I'd be over John's house eating dinner with him and his kids talking about wrestling, you know, like it, <laughs> it, it was, it, it was one of those things where it went from that to where, okay, here, we got this good thing. You know, like he was the one who, who came up with the barrel idea. And I was like, how the hell are you going to bury me? Like, you can't just dig a hole that fast. He's like, oh no, I got a backup. But I was like, where the hell are you getting this from? You know, like, you just go drive this thing up there. He's like, yeah. He's like, you'll be doing your match. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, what the hell is going on? And then all of a sudden you see him riding up with blackout. And I'm just like, I'm in the match going, Josh, John's coming. And he is on a backup. You know what I'm saying? And I, I was, next thing I know, there's a six foot hole and I'm getting thrown in it. And, and you know, John's cutting one of these promos, thousand people. Yeah. And I'm just like, I remember getting to the back going, this was great. I was bleeding out of my skull yeah. <laughs> and, and like, you know, going, wow, oh, this is going to work. This is a great, like, and then a couple shows later, it just, you know, it all fell apart. So That's a shame because that, that premise right there that I'd seen, I was like, wow, like that was sold so well. And I saw the fear in your eyes. You sold it so well. And, um, but thank you for indulging me with that story. Awesome stuff. Another thing I wanted to bring up, because uh, in my research, this is something that I read about and I couldn't find any other information on it, no footage or anything. It's the 9th of December, 2019. It's Cage of Death 19. Uh, the show ends with uh, Nick Gage and Brett Lauderdale from Game Changer invading uh, uh, Giancarlo Dittamo, if that's his name, it's Dittamo. Dittamo. Giancarlo uh, Dittamo. Yeah, he had pitched an invasion angle, but you you shot it down, and without telling anyone, he decided to go through with it regardless. Uh, it says police were called to the arena. 
Um, the three of them had all left the venue by the time they arrived, and you were reportedly beyond furious over the incident, and he got fired from CZW. Could you please indulge me in this story? Because it's just, this seems quite out there. Uh, I, I will say uh, certain things. Uh, okay, that's cool. Certain companies and people I cannot legally speak about. Not okay. publicly. Um, but I will speak about John Carlo because I can talk about John Carlo. Um, at the time, I had been working with Dave Marquez to try and develop a TV program out here. I have been working on championship wrestling in Hollywood for years at that point, not just as a talent, but as a producer, learning backstage things and hopefully doing television out here. And, you know, I've learned a lot and very thankful for Dave and everything that they have given. And, you know, at that time, the NWA was also just starting back up. If, if people remember, Nick Aldis beat Tim Storm on that cage of death for the NWA title. Yeah, I, um, I talked to him about it a few weeks ago. <laughs> I remember people within my organization telling me how I was the biggest idiot in the world to put them out on that show. And I'm going, you don't see what I see down the line. Billy Corgan is at my show, okay? Yeah. Billy Corgan is upstairs at, with, with another guy that I've learned a lot from, Dave Lagana, and, and you know, that I knew from, like, WWE, and, and, you know, he's another Paul Heyman protege guy, and, you know, going, okay, I got to really, really be on point for this because Billy at that time really loved what I was doing and what i was trying to do and we i had countless meetings with them and to go back and look like they were doing stuff on the championship wrestling from hollywood platform and and, and and things along those lines and you know i was i was literally trying to go how streaming services are great but that's only if people check them out tv's free how do i reach these people how do i reach more people that they can see what this is you know because aw is doing a version of what we are you know, like in some ways, you know, they, they, they have similar things to what I was trying to develop. They just can't afford to, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and I was sitting here going, okay, how do we get this? How, how, how do we do this? How do we generate the revenue? What do I need? Okay. Do we get involved with the NWA? Well, the NWA has this lineage and okay. Yeah. People are going to come out here and they're going to boo Nick Aldis. And, and a lot of people were just like, this is dumb and it's not cool. And I'm going, in five years, man, this NWA is going to be a place. Again, I'm telling you. And look at what's going on right now. Yeah. And, you know, if all out, the first one says anything with Cody and him, like how big that was, or all in, I'm sorry, I said all out. Um, you know, it, it just tells you where it was going. And, and I saw that long before. And... John Carlo, when I met him, he was he was one of Dave's guys. And I knew a lot about him, and he's a genius. He may be the best segment producer I have ever met. And that goes from anybody in WWE, which he has worked for. Um, you know, at, at, at Indies, his mind is, is amazing. 
he can make things happen and make guys. I mean, some of the vignettes we were doing and things, they were not being done to how I want them done because I want them done. Boom, boom, boom. John Carlo was meticulous. It had to be perfect. And he would have these ideas that I'd be like, these are all great. How do we accomplish them? And they made, he made the pitch. And I mean, I won't get into the pitch. And they, the cell was on me, the rest. I was the bad guy. We were, the pitch was to run with me being how everybody assumed I was going to be, be the, be a guy on top and both like we would create this buzz and, and all this. And it really would have had, it would have had the buzz. But I felt like I couldn't make that move to the point that the night before I worked a show for Matt Tremont and they all sat down with me and pitched it again. And I said, what is the benefit to us? And the benefit was it's a hot angle. And then I said, great. Then what? And having experienced this countless times in CZW, uh, I said earlier on in the interview how the Ring of Honor CZW angle was amazing. But in the end, it hurt us and hurt our business. Yeah. yeah. In the end, being involved with all these other companies and bringing in their specific talent or their specific style took away from us. Because if you liked Chris Hero and you were coming to CZW for Chris Hero, you would then go to Ring of Honor to see Chris Hero and then they could pay him more so he wasn't here that often. But there, you could see him work, Brian Danielson, where here he might not, you know. And if that was what your cup of tea was, it was great. Or Chikara. Or any of those companies, you know, if you got exposed to this and you're like, oh, these ants and this and this is awesome. And then you take that away because you're then, okay, we're going to go support that because that's what we're into. Then that melting pot of something for everybody at CZW disappears and the audience just gets, you know, chipped away from and business goes down. And I go, then what? And nobody could tell me, well, then, then people will be behind it. Okay, great. Then what, you know, like right now, people are super high about a lot of things that, that, that are going on in pro wrestling. Um, and they're like, it's this resurgence. I believe that it's setting itself up for failure because the bar is so high, especially on a TV product. Now, like TV shows or pay-per-views. I mean, yeah, watch any, any of them like, like, you know, and I'm not trying to knock them and I understand what they're trying to do, but like, it's great that these matchups are here now. What about in two years when you've exhausted all these guys? You gotta, exactly you, gotta, you gotta make new stars and, and you gotta get guys over. And right now, like, like I tell this to everybody, I go, who on the indies is a draw? So the answer usually is Nick Gage. Okay, he's been a draw forever. You know, he's an attraction. That's great. Who else? Um, who am I going to bring in that's not at a one-time attraction that people are going to pay consistently to see? And if they're not going to pay consistently, if you can't get them consistent, then it's just a one-time attraction. 
and you're not really building a company, you're just a sideshow. Yeah. It's like the circus on the tent. You know, how are they going to get to, how are they going to know your characters and your acts and, and all that? So I look at it like, okay, well, if you want to see this, pay to see it. You know, if, if you want these big time matches, you don't give them away. That's why you got and paid your nine ninety nine for the WWE network or you have Peacock or whatever it is, you know, and now you're seeing those matches on TV and most of them, you know, who's going to win. And <laughs> it, it takes the suspense out of it. And, and I, I never really liked that. And I think indie wrestling now is like, especially with that match world, it's like, Nick Gage was helicoptered out. Like, what the hell are we going to do next? We blew up a ring. We blew up the ring. Like, what do you, what do you want me to do? You know, I, I don't know how to, what the next great crazy, we stuck syringes in people and, and like things mm. that like are the dumbest thing you should do, especially in a COVID generation. Like, like things where like people could actually seriously like, like some of the stuff me and Thumbtack Jack did, I, I look back on it and go, what the hell was, was I thinking? Like he stuck syringes in my arm and, and like <laughs> I, I stuck them in his mouth. He put them in my head and hit me with a cinder block that I don't remember most of that day. And I'm going, <laughs> what was wrong with me? Why did I think that was a good idea? You know, it, it, it's one of those things where I see, I see that kind of failure being set up. and how high do you want to raise the bar? You know, how high can we raise the bar without somebody coming in and going, no, like challenges you that we all have. Like, I'm going to give you an example. I have a building that I want to come back and run in Maryland. That is phenomenal. Maryland has one of the toughest athletic commissions in the United States. Pile drivers are technically illegal, let alone hardcore wrestling. They won't come after the promotion there. They'll come after the wrestler too. You have to have a license, okay, and a physical before every show in that state. There's really only one company that runs in the state where in New Jersey, in the area where we basically are based, I can throw a rock and hit a wrestling company. You know, down there, there's one, but the business down there, like that one does well. Why don't I want some of that money? And people are going to me like, well, you can't do ultra violence. That's stupid. I can get guys over do it you know if it makes money if people show up and pay to see it there's booze in the building they'll have a good time you know it, it's one of those things where you know if you watch takeover walter and Ilya dragonoff was awesome they didn't do anything crazy you know nothing that wasn't basic wrestling and people were raving about that like it's the greatest thing ever you know so like you can do that down there maybe we'll do something different here and you know, like Delaware, people are asking, why haven't I ran TOD on the farm? It's simple. We got in trouble. There's an athletic commission down here now. Guys have to have all these tests that I have to pay for. That while we draw a thousand people, or, you know, the lowest house we've ever had there was seven and some change, which is still great. It's not generating enough money where it's like, oh, I got to pay for all these blood tests. Oh, I got to pay for their ambulance and EMT drivers. Oh, wait, you have to pay these permits now to run a show on my own family's property. 
hmm, out in the middle of nowhere. You know, <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? Where, yeah. you know, the deer run free. It's, it's, it's one of those things that like, you have to, to understand that there are certain challenges. So where are we going to up that ante? How are we going to do that? Well, you know, right now we've put out a thing and we haven't really done a lot with CCW at all because we really haven't come officially back. But, you know, the renaissance of tradition, which is the idea of we're not like nothing else anymore because everybody else does what we do. <laughs> you know, everybody can do it now. They figured it out. You know, it's not a secret. It, it's, it's one of those things like we want to get back to character and storytelling. Yeah, we're still going to do this stuff, but we're going to do it for these reasons and that's kind of what i'm believing in right now because right now a lot of these like go out here here's a story it's done in like two shows like there's no investment in it there's no you know and, and then most of the time you know there's a i'll use wwe as an example so roman reigns is going to wrestle finn balor at the next pay-per-view i think they pretty much set that up but you know roman's going to wrestle brock for the belt so is finn really going to win yeah, probably not. Gone conclusion. So, so I don't really have to invest in that. The John Cena stuff, I didn't know. You know, what I'm saying you assumed John was not going to win, but there was always that, like, well, they might not do that. You know, you know, they did it with Goldberg. You know, you you never you never kind of know. So I might want to check this out. And the audience was that that's that play you know, that, that, that you got to get to because they care about the characters. They're so invested in, them. you know, they spent all this time building Roman up to the point where now people, you know, two years ago, were like, he sucks. He shouldn't be in the business now where it's like people in the business are like, no, he's the greatest thing you've ever seen. And like, no, he always <laughs> was. They just invested in the character and same thing with Cena. He's a phenomenal character, but a couple years ago, Cena sucks. And now it, it's completely different because he went away for a little while. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's one of those things where I think I, we need to get back to that. Chris Jericho does nothing. He's 50 years old. He is awesome because he can walk out, cut his music and 15,000 plus people will sing it. That's how much they've invested in that character getting over. And to be honest with you, he didn't even start it. Sammy Guevara started it. You remember he came out singing it on AEW. He was the one who got the crowd to do it. And now they just do it because Jericho's character or this version of his many characters is so over because they, they invested in it. He could just go out there and do nothing. He doesn't have to go out there and bleed and take the big bumps that he's had. He's doing that to, to get over MJF, but he doesn't need to do any of that because he can just go out there and cut a promo and still do the same effect. And the crowd just like, yeah, and they'll still tune in to see that. And I think that's what we need to get back to a little more and then build to that spectacle. And then when we have, Hey, they're doing this, you're going, I got to see that. Here's my 10, $20. And that's what I think we need to get back to doing. And I see wrestling not going in that direction. I see wrestling going in the following the Twitter and, and saying, well, we want this and we want it now. We're in the instant gratification generation. You know what I'm saying? Instead of like, I work all week so I can go out on Friday night and party. It's like, no, I'm a party every night now. 
Yeah. You know, it, it's it, it's one of those things like you like the the hot girl guy, they, him, she, whatever it is. And instead of saying, hey, I got to put in some work to get to that point where, you know, you get the opportunity. It's like, so I'm going to take you out and we're going to go to the hotel afterwards. It's first date. You're good with that. <laughs> and people nowadays are like, they expect that, you know, where... You know, with my wife, uh, we've been together almost dating and married almost 14 years. Like when we went out on like five or six dates and she gave me the, I just want to be friends line. And I was like, uh, okay, I need to step up my game and put in some work. You know, <laughs> it, it, it was like, it was one of those things like I'm an evil wrestler who's been done some, you know, questionable things in, in the world. And my father-in-law is a retired cop, you know, so it's, um, <laughs> It's one of those things where I, I you have to do work and I don't feel like a lot of people are doing that nowadays. You know, I feel like it's that, you know, that anticlimactic thing. And I'm all for people doing as much moves and stuff. I just want it to build. I just want it to like, where do we go from here? What's the next step in the story? You know, like you can die hard. You can blow up a building in the in the opening of a movie but you can't blow up a building the whole time. You know, you got to have some spence to get to the big explosion and wrestling matches are supposed to be like that too. And a lot of them are not. And I see that being a failure long-term because while the generation now is super like, this is cool and this is great, they're going to get into the same position of where wrestling looks corny. You know, like I train people I have a lot of great talents that I've trained and I'm proud of all of them. But like, even the guys now, like we have a guy that that's come up, that's come from another wrestling company and his original character was motorbike Mike. And I was looking at him and I'm just like, and his real name is Mike. And I was like, well, are you in the motorbikes? He's like, no, I've never even ridden one. And he comes out and he goes, yin, yin, yin and all this. And like, it's funny, <laughs> but this kid was a, a collegiate athlete he's in great shape he moves well he's actually a pretty solid like wrestler and he's kind of a frat boy he goes to miami and parties and stuff a lot you know like he he legit is down there once a month and goes to the big clubs and you know thinks he's like pitbull or something and <laughs> he's never been on a motorbike in his life he just does that because that's what they told him and i'm going dude that's some stuff i've seen in the 80s you know, like, like we're in 2021, like the people watching wrestling that are 18 to 49, they were, you know, they're my age. And if I think that's corny, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. They're going to think that's corny. It, it, it's where like Darby Allen is that cool kid, you know, he's that cool. Like when I, when I was coming up like, man, I want to be that kid. That kid's just like me. That's why people like him. That's why he's so over orange Cassidy. He's been in. He's been in CZW. I won't expose what he's been. I mean, he was a New Jersey Indy All-Star, you know. He, he's literally, he, he's not that big, <laughs> you know. It, it, it's And he's main eventing out here, you know, with guys like Miro, who looks like a truck. It, it, <laughs> and believably doing that because it, it, it's he's got such a great character. And I think that's what we need to get back to, you know, and... And that's what people will tune in to see. And then, you know, doing, like I said, with the John Carlo thing, 
man, I go in circles, don't I? Um, <laughs> you know, John Carlo did a lot of that. You know, he, he came up with these great ideas and, 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 and I trusted him. And again, I said earlier, I can't work with people. I can't, I don't trust, you know, we didn't own the building. You know, when somebody comes in, causes a problem, you know, and, and the building is there. It's not like they're not there watching <laughs> and they're going, what the hell is that? And they're seeing me pissed off. Of course, the cops are going to show up. And, you know, then I got, you know, labeled by fans as a cop caller. And I didn't call the cops. Somebody else did. But I had to explain to them what happened, you know, and, you know, when people are going, what the hell's going on? And I'm upstairs with Billy Corgan you know, shaking hands and kissing babies and going, please work with us, Mr. Corbin. We could really use what you're doing and, you know, making sure him and and those guys are very well taken care of. And then you turn around going, your show's hijacked, let alone the guys in that match had no clue what was going on and then blamed me, you know, for taking their moment in the big, you know, in our WrestleMania spot. It's, it it was just such a, a thing where, you know, I think John Carlo and, and you usually with me, not now, but back then, people knew to ask for forgiveness and not permission. If you do something and it works, you know, I'll go, all right, I'm mad, but it got over. And you were right. Maybe I was wrong. And I still looked at it, play the long game. And at the time, there was a big change behind the scenes and Sammy Callahan was the booker. And Sammy was in New Japan and I did not want to take that opportunity from him. Um, so my guard, my, you know, my, the guys that I normally depend on were off doing other things. And, you know, John Carlo made a call and it was the wrong call, in my opinion. And at the end of the day, it's my company. You know, and I know the audience probably wanted to see that. But again, if you're going to do something that complex and with the experiences I've been through, you're going to think twice. You know, with what happened with ROH, with what happened with IWAs and Chikars and all these other things that we have attempted to do in the past. And it always hurt because we are the company that was up here. And then it just brings more people to our level, which is good. But what happens is it's taking business from us in my mind, because that's what the experience I saw was. And then I kept going, okay, it would have brought you guys up and done well. And, and, and John Carlo, like, yes, I, I would have done a lot of cool stuff as a wrestler. I, I, I would have done stuff that I would be bragging about till the day I die. But I also still went there and said, well, what am I going to do when I'm 50? And I can't do this anymore. You know, how am I going to put up with the people who supported me when the chips were down and still do that don't trust these people and me have to explain to them, well, hey, I'm going to work with these people and them knowing things behind the scenes you know, and events that have happened to me and go, look, you work with them, I'm out. You know, that's like, that's like your friend saying, look, man, like, if you got to do this, I can't be your friend. And then you get put into that, that, that tough choice where 
do you go with the support you have or do you go with the cool thing now that you know is not going to last? Yeah. And, and I made that decision and then I was taken advantage of and, and my whole mentality was always, you know, don't, how do you bury something? Don't put it over. Why am I going to sell it? I'm not involved in it. You know, everybody showed up. I usually take my Disney trip with my wife. That's her Christmas present, you know, usually right after cage of death or sometime around there, I would do that. And then that whole situation ruined that. So then I had an issue with my wife and, you know, not one you want to have. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, it's definitely not. And it's challenging. And, you know, in, in hindsight, it, it hurt us very badly and, and damaged the company because then you gave the audience something they wanted and I wasn't going to deliver. And they knew it. Yeah. And then the fans turned even more on me. And, you know, if John Carlo came to me today and we still talk from time to time, you know, and said, look, man, give me an opportunity. I would probably utilize him, but I wouldn't trust him. You know, he would have to earn that back. Trust isn't given, it's earned. And, And because I know what his talent is. Trust me, there's plenty of guys that have screwed me or done me wrong. And I, you know, all those people on the internet, like like the people that support me now going, anybody who sets up on you right now, DJ, and and don't don't even use them. And now that like I'm starting to get back to things slowly, not as fast as others, but work in progress. I want to put something out that's quality. Those some of those people are hitting me up going, yo, man, I want to get booked. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm going, well, maybe we need them. You know, you know, it, it's yeah. it's one of the things where you never burn a bridge. You know, it, it's it, it's why do I want to be in, in involved in this? Because you know, I may want to do business some someday, you know. I mean I, I don't I don't have any bad tidings with WWE, even though I've had some bad things happen there. But you know just had five of my students who literally, you know, I just had a guy out the Vegas trial last week. That's my guy that I helped get there. You know, that I've trained who hasn't even wrestled on a CZW show yet. He's 20 years old. Wow. So it, it's, and in the future he'll be a star, but if I can get him an opportunity, you know, I mean, if, if they were like, no, screw DJ Hyde, they want to give him the opportunity. My name's on his resume. You know, if I made some calls, it's, same thing with AEW, you know, like a lot of people there that probably don't like me, but like there are some people there that got my back and, you know, it, it's, if I can help somebody, I'm going to, but doesn't mean there's still not going to be detractors because of how they feel. So moving on though. So I, I, I can rant about that a lot. So it's <laughs> a very cool, emotional right? touchy subject. <laughs> I understand. Uh, thank you again for sharing. Um, uh, only a couple more questions here before we sail off into the sunset here, my friend. Yeah, uh, I wanted to ask you about, um, obviously, uh, I wanted to bring up Nick Gage versus Chris Jericho. Uh, you haven't done an interview, as you said, in a while. So I, I'm getting the, the first uh, scoop from your opinion here on this. This is the first time, I guess, on like a national TV type deal that you're seeing a death match. Um, did you watch it and what did you think of it? Um, 
I did watch it. Uh, I watch NXT. I, I watch pretty much just about everything. I consume. I consume a lot of wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was good in a lot of ways, and I thought it was bad in, in a couple others. One, um, as a promoter, I saw some some things that were just concerning. Like I said, light tubes, glass going into the audience and stuff. Because you never want, like, one of the things about Zandig, and, and, and I saw some people comment on this, is they always want to deathmatch wrestling to stay low-key. Because if the wrong person sees it, then it becomes a problem and it's harder for us to do. Mm-hmm. Um, again, like, Delaware has an athletic commission that governs wrestling. I can straight up tell you that started because of the Nick Cage incident when he got a helicopter. Um, sure. That's when the blood tests and all this stuff start happening because we were doing it down there for years. You know, I mean, this wasn't anything that wasn't new. And, and it was one of those things that like, okay, Hey, we gotta, we gotta kind of go in, in that direction. So there was definitely some, some challenges there as a match, putting it on that platform it is phenomenal. For somebody who does that, it's exposing people to it in ways that they never seen. And, you know, really gives people like a new way to look at, at deathmatch wrestling. Like a lot of the fans out there just looking at their reactions, they didn't even know like what the heck, why is he holding a light bulb? Yeah, you know what I'm saying? I could tell, they, yeah. They had no clue as to what was going on and if they liked it, it now brings in more people. And Nick Gage right now is the guy. And especially with the Vice documentary coming out on him and, and doing that. The other thing, too, was Nikki showed that he's not just a trash bag wrestler like some of these people would say. Like, a lot of people think a lot of deathmatch wrestlers can't wrestle. Um, they're out of their mind. You know, uh, I'll give you an example. So I've wrestled New Jack (laughs) 30 times. So New Jack is a scary individual, but he's the greatest person around. Nick Gage, too. You know, Nicky is like, he's that guy who's pumping people up in the back and, and, and doing the things that you really want out of a locker room leader. Nick Gage will go out there and wrestle flat wrestle with somebody you know what i'm saying instead of going out there doing light tubes and stuff like that just to show to you see i can do this he'll do it um even when he would come down to the school and train with people and you know he would tell them these things but like like i said like guys like new jack new jack used to say to me dj nobody's paying to see me do this they paying to see me because I'm the crazy motherfucker who just fucks motherfuckers up. And <laughs> he's not wrong. Yeah. And Nick Gage is that guy. You know, Nick Gage, they're not paying to see Nick Gage come out and do, you know, a headlock. They're coming out to see the man do craziness. Nick Gage makes his money and makes the company money being that guy. And I saw that, and and to be honest with you, if I was AEW, they should offer him a contract. I think I think it would have been 
because Moxley and Kenny and them have done it. And Moxley has done it to an extent that shows that like, hey, because Mox is versatile. And it shows that, see, I can be a wrestler and I can do this too. And, and I think Nikki is more known than Mox to do it because Mox had the WWE stuff and had the body and the look and, and those things that, you know, Nikki, I mean, he had it one time, but, you know, he didn't really stay on it. You know, he really wasn't, you know, he really focused more on this because this is what he loved. And it gave, it gave a credibility to it. Let's face facts. He could have beat Chris Jericho. That's a big freaking deal. Yeah. Okay. Trust me, MJF's making a, a career out of it right now. Like he's literally yeah. bragging, I beat you three times, buddy. You know, and, and that's a big deal. If Nick Gage would have beat Chris Jericho, man, would that have been news? Man, <laughs> people would have been holy crap. The downside to all of this, I would have paid to see that. That match, not just the live attendance, you could that you could have made that a special. You could have got so much more out of that. Not only that, like seeing the level of violence, like nothing against AW's booking, and, and I'm not trying to knock it, but going from Nick Gage with light tubes and panes of glass to Hoovy was just like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it was just one of those things that was like, it should have been in that final boss role. Because I felt like it's like, you know, you could have built that, like, Hoovy should have been there. Then Nikki should have been at the end because it was this. And then you could have played the role that Jericho was injured. And, like, that to me was like, so he's going to go out here and run a bunch of spots with Hoovy at, you know, like at 50 years, you know, like they're not back in ECW. ECW has been gone for 20 years. It's, it's one of those things where it was like, it, it, I think it hurt a little bit of, of, of what they're doing. And I understood why they did it business wise. And, and, and I know, I know why that happened behind the scenes. Um, but it was like one of those things, like you could have got so much more out of this, so much more out of this angle, so much more. Like you could have had Nick Gage come out there and he's going to wrestle this guy. And you could have had these hype videos of him and and got footage from companies because they've, they've, they've used my footage and other people's you know stuff all the time. And you you could have you could have really got a whole lot out of this guy that you're now making out to an audience that has never seen it. This is this guy. He could have cut promos for a couple of weeks and then you could have built up to, you know, them wrestling, you know, like the fifth labor at, you know, all out where it would have been like this huge freaking deal. And there now you're paying for it. And you could use the Nikki thing for this. And is Jericho too injured? And there could have been, it could have been done a different way, or you could have just put that on all out because it would have been a match that's different than all the other stuff. Because you know the Bucks and Penta, Penta and Phoenix are going to go out. You know what they're going to do. You know how that match is going to go. You know, you know what I'm saying? You're, you're going to see storytelling matches. You, you know, you're, you're going to see stuff that's going to be similar where this would have stood out and would have been this thing. And people would have been like, here's my money. 
And now one of the things that's about Moxley that is so good is you have that element with him where he can go that way. And you don't have that with any other guy that makes him that. Cause I know Kingston and there are guys there that's going to do this stuff, but like, you don't have that character. And, and, and I, that's where I was like, Oh, there should have been a lot more. And that would have been the bad because I think that would have helped them make new stars. Nick Gage is close to my age. You know, I don't know how long Nicky's going to be able to go and do what he does at the rate that he does it. He could have went, they could have signed him. He could have made a good living doing what he loves around some of the best people in the world. Okay. And literally instead of here's this guy that we hyped for a couple weeks and now, okay, this is done. No follow-up, you know, where, where it was like, man, and if I was a person who was tuning in to see that, man, I'd want to see that. I'd want to see that. And I feel like they could have had something special with him. It's the same reason now where everybody is tuning in to see CM Punk. And what is he going to do? And where's punk wrestling? Where you have to pay to see him. Exactly. You know, and... That is the how wrestling is booked, especially on a TV. It's TV is the advertisement to try to get you to buy the pay-per-views. 100%. And, you know, I think certain companies are failing on that. And on the independent level, we're doing that. You know, you got to do that through other areas, you know, whether it's vignettes or promos or something to get you to come to the show. But even when we come back, I have an entire different mentality of how I'm going to try and do things and build a different way. So you make these shows special, you know, so AW has what, four big shows right now or six, but they also have, yeah, but they also have TV specials, right? Well, if you have TV specials, you are expecting to pop a rating or get big numbers on a different night. Those are all things where you're generating revenue instead of just like, no, this is what we do every week. We're just going to go out here and up the ante. And then what happens is the audience is starting to expect that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when you don't give people what they want, they throw it back at you. And I learned that that too because we were at the point for years where it's like, well, we got to do a death match. You know, we got to have some, we got to have hardcore. We're even having that conversation now where I'm going, well, we don't need hardcore on all the shows. We can do like a spot, but we don't need like, here's a no row barbed wire match. Yeah. And the thing is, is other people, they're just going, well, this company does it and that company does it. Nobody comes see it. And I'm going, they're drawing a couple hundred people. Nobody care. You, you know, like, like we got to find ways to get fans invested into it and get them to care. You know, like you, you talk about Stone Cold and The Rock and Hogan and, and and all these great guys. You don't sit there and go, I remember every spot they did. You know, it's like the Bucks. You know, the Bucks are phenomenal. But you you know their signature stuff. But, like, you don't remember the first spot they did in a match, you know. Even the greatest matches you've ever seen, you know. I, I, I use this as an example when I train people. That I go, okay, so Shawn Michaels and Ric Flair, one of the best matches of our generation? Yes, it was. Great. What was the opening spot? Um, they locked up? Nope. 
you know, you know, you start, you start getting people think, no, they, you just know how people make you feel. And that's what it is. Yeah. You know, you're, it, it's like going to a movie, you get emotions at a movie, you're suspending disbelief. You know, I'm watching AEW, and I believe there's a guy who's a big green dinosaur, you know, <laughs> and to be honest with you, he's only an inch taller than I am. So it's it's one of those things where you know you believe the Undertaker can, is a dead man and can shoot lightning, and you know Bray Wyatt can do all kinds of crazy stuff. <laughs> you know, it, you know Alexa Bliss it, it is you know got a doll that is supernatural. Like you want to suspend that disbelief when you're watching it's so hard, and I think that's what people pay to see. I mean, the biggest movies in the world. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, they're not real. Yeah. You're watching Sylvester Stallone out there being Rocky Balboa or Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnold Schwarzenegger is a Terminator. People look at him and like, Arnold's a badass guy. And he was also in Kindergarten Cop going, who is your daddy and what does he do? And people, <laughs> people associate with the character. Yeah. And how do I know that? It's simple. The Terminator was in the WWE 2K game a couple years ago. <laughs> You know, you, you, you have those things. Rocky, Rocky is still making money. You know what I'm saying? There's still, there, there's a new video game coming out with, with, with Rocky and you know, Creed is what it's called. So it, it's off of that where there's been what, like 10 of them, Star Wars, Vader is still over. <laughs> you <know>, like, <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's one of those things. Ric Flair wants to wrestle again. He's at 70 some years old. Like I said, Sting is 62. My dad, my mom is that age. I don't think I want to see my mom out there, but man, people want to see the stinger out there. You know, Chris Jericho is 50, 50 years old, you know, and, and, and you're starting to think about it. The Rock is 50. He's the biggest star there is. It's, it's one of those things where, like, when I looked at the match and I go, man, there's so much value here. Why are you not capitalizing on it? Because now you have something on a platform and on a level, none of your competition will even touch. Exactly. And if you are going to be the, the renegades and these guys, you now have a guy. And the deathmatch community was all like, Nick Gage is our, you know, he's the hero. He's our leader. He's this. And then it's like, nope, we came in. We got, you know, we got what we need from you. Peace. Peace. Yeah, it's a call. Yeah. You know, and maybe they'll bring him back for another thing, you know, but instead you could have really made it something. And I think you would have then brought a new audience to the product, which is what they're trying to capitalize on doing. But the also negatives of putting that out there on television, they lost one of their biggest sponsors because they don't want to associate with that, you know, and things and a couple other things like that too but that's why you put it on where you pay to see it. There are no sponsors exactly. that are not yeah. getting involved with that on pay-per-view. Yeah. So if WWE did that, Snickers ain't paying for it. You know what I'm saying? But Tony Khan doesn't need it because you're going to get the buys because you're going with where the cool new factor. And then once you make it a casual thing, once you make it, oh, well, they do that and that's okay and, and society gets accustomed to it, then you might be able to bring it to TV and that negative feedback, like, I thank God we're in the pandemic area because if certain people would have really made that an issue, it could have stopped deathmatch wrestling everywhere. 
because yeah, commissions will shut it down. You know, like New Jersey is big for deathmatch wrestling. It's because the commission doesn't govern it. But there was a reason why CZW left years ago and went to Philly. And then we started doing it in Philly. And then there was a reason why you can't do a lot of stuff like light tubes and stuff in Philly anymore because the commission went, no. And that could have been the drawbacks. But again, like I said, there was such good. And like, I'm so proud of Nikki, man. Like he, he killed it. He really did. He got over. And again, as a company, I just feel like they kind of dropped the ball on a couple of things, but I also think they did a lot of things right because I think they were like, okay, this, this, they might've went, this is the test of the waters, you know, and let's see the feedback and sit back and, and in six months go, okay, maybe there is something here. And there's another guy like picture Matt Tremont cutting promos, you know, on an AEW platform, as good as he is on the mic and as believable as he is on the mic and, you know, with his head looking like, you know, that and, and, and brother, and, and, you know, it's like Eddie Kingston. Yeah. It, it's like Eddie Kingston when he came in, I, I, I would have said, like, if they don't give Eddie the microphone, they're doing him a disservice. You know, Eddie came in, cut a promo. Everybody went, wow, that, this dude's, he's believable. He's out there fighting Miro this week and nobody's questioning it. And, and he's, God, he's jacked. And Eddie's just, you know, he's a street thug, you know, from New York. You know, it's, it fits. And nobody's yeah. going to question. So it really does work. So there, there, there was good and bad. And, and again, I, I understand a lot of things that I don't think people do you know, looking at it from just the platform, I, I look at it and go, okay, what's the business of it? Because I thought there was a lot of great opportunities. I just wish there would have been, you know, follow because they're very much about like, we have to create a buzz, you know, we have, and they have to sustain that. But then I also look at the downfalls going, you have like 200 plus people under contract and I don't ever see half of them on TV. You know yeah, what I'm saying? True. Yep. And, and it's like, then when they do, it's like they went on dark and on the YouTube shows, which is great and all, but like, you know, like, like I, I saw like Ty Conte was like 23 and nine. And I was like, man, I don't, has she even been on the show in like a month and a half? Yeah. I just because, watched Rampage today and they said she was on a 15 match winning streak. And I've watched the last five weeks and I haven't seen her. And I'm like, when did she pick up these wins? It's just on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. That, you're just sitting there. You're questioning that going, what the heck just happened here? And the more people that they bring in, like punk has to be on the show. So if they do things like, okay, say Daniel Bryan signs there or, you know, Bray Wyatt, you have to utilize this, these guys, instead of people like, you know, take Joey Janela or a Layla Hirsch or any of them who are all super talented or, or all the guys down in dark, how do you create those new stars? Putting them out there, like Daniel Gracia just made evented against Moxley two weeks ago, phenomenal talent this kid, but you're just banking on, Oh, he's going to have a good match with Mox and get over. Mm, mm, maybe I, I look at it. Like if you put the, him out there and the audience just sees him in that role and he keeps getting beat, they're just gonna be like, they're not going to believe him, you yeah. know? And, and it, WWE does that a lot, an awful, awful lot, you know, where they have, they have people that are so talented and they just haven't figured out how to capitalize on them. 
And then by the time they do, the audience is just like, I mean, Liv Morgan is an example of that. Girls talented is, I mean, she just wrestled this week, but you knew she wasn't going to win. And then when we want to get behind them, it's like, uh, and then after a while, it's that, see, we're just taking it away from you. Yeah. And it's hard to support. And I felt like that was the downside to, to what I saw. And again, I go on these rants and <laughs> I, I, it's a bad, it's because my brain is damaged from getting hit with bricks and chair shots for so many years and stupid stuff that um, my doctor definitely says that. So it's, uh, it's one of those things that I see, see the positives and, and negatives and AW, I just think like they could capitalize on it. I just think that they could do it. I just feel like this is awesome. We're going to do this. And they got the hype train and then they did it and they went, well, we lost pizza hut, you know, or, or Domino's. And like, you know, like they kind of was like, uh, instead of saying, yeah. Hey, maybe we should have did this with this. It would have been cool. And we're going to run this MJF thing out long term. So it would have been, and, and Max just comes out and get people hate him. <laughs> so it's just, just let him do it. It'll get Jericho more over. And then you got all, what, what happened to the inner circle? Did they just fall apart? You know, like, like it's, it's like, why, why is he not wrestling like Santana? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, I get you. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's kind of, it's kind of just like weird, you know, and, and like stuff like that. I think that hurts an older school audience and then younger kids when they, when you're like 12 and you're really getting into wrestling or you're like, even like a little kid buying those new action figures and like playing in your, you know, your little sandbox in your house or whatnot. If you don't get to know the characters and you don't get to see them, you know, you, you, you forget very fast, especially nowadays, you know, if it's not in front of you, you know, we talked about Twitter a little bit earlier so they're going to bitch about something today and they're going to be super negative about something today. It's going to change tomorrow. Yeah. They'll forget about it. it. <laughs> yeah. It's trending. And then tomorrow it's something else that's trending. And yeah. And we'll complain about that today, or we'll put this over today and that's how it is. So, but, and my rant on that, <laughs> say that. Cool, bro. Uh, the, there's two things I wanted to say about all of that. First of all, I never watched any AEW unless we had to for our channel, like the, some of the pay-per-views. Um, so I never really watched an episode of Dynamite before. The first one that I watched, guess what it was? It was with Nick Gage and Chris Jericho. It piqued my interest. <laughs> I wanted to see what was going to happen. And then there's the rest of the angle played out. This is the other thing I wanted to bring up was that, you know, okay, Sean Spears in the chairs match. Okay, that's fine for number one. Hoovy should have definitely been number two. If you're going to have Gage at number three, number four, like, because it kind of went like, here's Sean Spears, okay, and then we go to Nick Gage, and now we go to Hoovy and then Wardlow. I kind of felt like it needed to keep on that upper trajectory. So Sean Spears, Hoovy, Nick Gage, and my idea was Ken Shamrock in a submission match for the fourth one. I think that would have uh, been pretty big. <laughs> I would have, I, I would have probably done it a little bit differently. I would have probably, you know, I like the Sean's. I would have probably started with the Sean Spears thing just because you got to make an initial impact, and then move to Hoovy's second. If yeah. you were going to do Warlow, because he's in that position, he's his buddy. 
I would have made it a handicap match. I or I would have made it where, you know, you put someone, maybe not Worlow, maybe you put him in there with uh, you know, one of his guys from the inner circle. You know, where it's like you're trying to dissension, but if Jericho wins, he gets MJF. But if the other guy loses, he gets fired, or you put some kind of circumstance on it, and that could have been cool. If you were going to do Warlow too, you got to do it in something that is beyond stack. Like, that's great. Warlow's a big jack dude and all that stuff, and that's cool. But then you get past the big jack dude, and then you bring out Nick Gage, and yeah. he comes out, and like, then you do the tease with the tubes. And then you have everybody stop it, you know, or, or, you know, you have the 20 refs and, and, and you make it a deal. And then people are like, this guy's out of his mind. What is he going to do? And then Jericho does that match. And it made Jericho look very sympathetic. It was great. Like he sold everything. He took care of bail. Like he did a great job. And man, I cannot tell you how much respect I have for that man. It's insane. But then he would have went through that beat Nick Gage. Nikki still looks like a star and dominant. You know what I'm saying? He just caught him. And then you do the, well, you can't use that thing because that's one you every match, which is what they were playing. But then he goes in where, you know, Nikki could cut his arm with the pizza cutter in the very first spot. Like, yeah. like you could have went out there and had him work that. And then when MJF taps him out, then it would have been like, okay, it's cause, you know, cause this happened Cause and effect, the audience understood it. So when Jericho did tap out going into that mentality, everybody was like, well, what the, f he just tapped out. I got the, like, I'm putting this kid over and making him a star moment. I really did. But it, it would have been one of those things where now Jericho could have been selling the arm the whole time. And you could have gave him that, like, no, Jericho's, you know, Max being the guy, like, no, I'm not doing this. No, I'm not doing this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna send the goons. You know what I'm saying? It would have, it would have been a way for him to, to work, and the audience would have understood that. And then, you had Gage out there. You know what I'm saying? And you could have ran a, a, a spot where, you know, it could have been like, oh, you can't use the Judas effect. Oh, by the way, it's a no DQ match. And then you could have did all these things and brought all those guys back. And then. You could have had the finish where Gage brings out the tubes and ends up hitting MJF at the pay-per-view. You know, and Max would have took it. You know what I'm saying? And that would have been your big, you know, the crowd would have lost their mind, you know? And then Jericho could have slow sold over one, two. Ah! <laughs> that, that, you could have closed the pay-per-view with that. And, and they didn't have to do as much. You know, it would have been just one of those things where it was like, oh, this. And then, like, you know, he walks in and Jericho hits him with, like, you know, hits Nikki with, like, a code breaker. And they sell down and he, you know, kicks out. And then and Max can catch him in the arms then. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then work it, work it, work it. And it would have just really, really worked. And considering Jericho had the thing and, you know, you know the whole arm thing. And he'd been selling it since the, the cage moment. It, it, it really could have worked. And I just feel like they hot shot at it. I felt like that that angle could go on for so long because I feel like there's so much they can get out of it. But that's just an opinion, you know, where, again, some people like that. Some people, you know, they just want to eat the fast food. They don't care. 
You know, that's they like convenience store. <laughs> they don't want to sit and 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 go to the nice restaurant and sit wine and you know or have a couple beers and wait while their steak is prepared and you know they're gonna eat the two dollar cheeseburger. It's, I mean, I think that's also like you know, the audience wants it. They want it now. So again, I think I would have did it differently. I mean, I definitely think that that still spectacle is bigger than anything. You know, I, I believe in the Howard Stern theory. A lot of people like with deathmatch wrestling bury it. Stern's the one of the best interviews in the planet. You know, he he gets stuff out of people nobody else can, which is why his audience is there. The shock stuff doesn't really mean nothing. He's talented. The shock stuff just separates him. But now there's a hundred guys doing that, and he's Absolutely. still the guy. That's it. Um, we're getting quite close to the end here, VJ. Uh, before I get to my final segment, where it's just a bunch of quick fire questions about your favorite this and your favorite that, what would you like to take this time to plug for everyone out there that wants to know what's going on with you and CZW? Uh, well, this is something I thought we would discuss. Um, so right now we haven't officially come back from COVID. Uh, we haven't ran a live show yet. We have been doing stuff. People keep asking uh, me and CZW what we're doing. And the only answer we had was soon. Um, I feel like every time we get ready to do something, something happens. Um, you know, we have venues and it falls through. You know, we have dates. Now other people are running, you know. Uh, talent, you know, we, we've had a lot of controversy and you know, talent is not what it was. You know, we, we don't have, you know, our world champion is Joe Gacy and he's, you know, he's doing 205 Live this week. You know, it's, um, you know, we, we don't have the things we had pre-COVID and a lot of people are, when are you coming back, when you're running TOD, it's not as easy as they think. Um, we have done three tapings that have not seen the light of day. Um, I have brought in Pancos Productions, who some people in our area may know from years ago. They do all the production at 2300 Arena. Um, we are currently working with them and developing a team. Um, we're actually doing another taping tomorrow, which is more of a little bit of a tryout with some guys and some new talent. We're also doing uh, experimenting with new tech. Um, like an example of this is, say, you're you're uh, overseas, say you want to commentate one of our shows, but we don't need you to be here anymore. You can do it sitting right where you are right. Um, because we have new technology like Zoom and things that we can bring you in and you can do it live, um, which is something we want to test. Uh, we found ways to bring people in and have them sit at home or in an iPay-per-view environment and have the audience you know, that is on iPay-per-view interact with the performers. So if, if Griffin McCoy is cutting a promo and you're like, ah, you suck and blah, 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 blah. He can come back and say something directly to you, you know, <laughs> and address you if he wants to. Um, you know, we have some things that, that we are experimenting with that uh, we want to get right. Um, out of the three tapings, I think we've had maybe one that is pretty good. And it's not the last one we did. Um, 
I also know that that there is a certain expectation of what CCW is. And I don't think we're at that point. I don't think we're going to get back to that right away. So we're, we're literally repositioning everything we're doing. And, you know, nothing, and I want to stress this to any of the audience, nothing is set in stone. But uh, right now, what we've done is we're, we're bringing back a rebranding. We are looking at producing um, out of our studio, which we have created, um, <laughs> events that will air on, on platforms like Fight TV. And they will be more of our TV concept. And we will build stories and characters and develop people there and try some of these new things. Um, some of the things that we want to do is, like I said, like get different people doing commentary or segments from other parts of the world, but doing it live, you know, where someone in Japan could be interviewing somebody on our show. Um, we also want to find new talent. Uh, one of the things that we got to do is be different than everybody else. Um, you know, we don't have the big budgets we had pre-COVID. And, and, you know, the world changed and it affected, you know, us hard, but we're not going to stop doing this. Um, we have some deals that are coming in place that are actually going to be announced shortly because we haven't, like I said, until we say, hey, we're ready to go, we don't want to tell anybody, hey, we're ready to go. It's a work in progress. We have a whole new production team we're developing that is learning new equipment that we have in a, a smaller space and that is a challenge that is definitely, definitely hard. Um, as far as the ultraviolence side of things, uh, it, it has been discussed, and again, this is tentative, that we will bring back the ultraviolent underground. Um, the deathmatch audience is very, a certain way. Um, Again, the storyline stuff, I want to drive those people to, I want those people to invest in characters and have on the main show, the stories built to that. So it doesn't need to be, you know, we do our big events. You know, I don't want them to be in the studio. I want them to be at an arena or a place where we can, you know, have that. I want you to, to watch those, whether you do it on flight or our own platforms or wherever we put it and invest in those characters so that when they do go out there and they have the big crazy match that it means something to you. And that the big crazy matches then become an attraction and a draw. Now the ultra on underground will be a little different. Um, we are looking at doing a monthly live uh, one hour show, which would be about two or three death matches. Uh, we have some different, definite different concepts we wanna do that has not been done. Um, with it, not just match types or anything specific like that. Um, an example is, so, uh, instead of the commentators just being in like a commentary booth with a headset, we kind of want to get wrestlers to do it or, and put them on a couch and like, <laughs> yo, that was awesome. And like, talk about it, like, like deathmatch fans and deathmatch guys do, um, and be entertaining, but also maybe have like this, like, you know, sure somebody's gonna steal this idea from us but it always happens but like like this cool weird couch where like people like yourself can watch this live and just get general reactions and commentate on it but commentate 
in a different way. You know, we can get people from, from Australia and Japan and England and Germany and South America and all over the United States and put that out there. Uh, I can also say that it, since we are doing it in a small environment that for a live audience, it's going to be limited. So it'll be more of a special thing for them. Um, and it's not overdone. Now, those particular events will build to our annual tournament of death. Um, so again, it's giving it purpose. So, and then doing it once a month, you know, we can get special guys in that we don't get, you know, we can work around schedules. We can, you know, give new guys opportunities that, you know, are unknown. We can escalate things and, and really work on creating an environment that, that CZW lost. And, you know, as far as like the women's stuff, which has caused me a lot of controversy, uh, you know, there's somebody else who is going to be running that, um, that I'm currently in negotiations with, but it'll still be a part of it. You'll see girls and, and stuff on CZW shows. And, and, you know, again, I'm looking for talent, you know, talent at czwrestling.com. My team will review it and get back to you and, and get to me. We're developing a behind the scenes team. We're looking for production people, camera people, uh, interviewers, I mean, anything right now that, uh, you know, you want to be a part of this. We're looking to completely rebuild everything and get back to what really we are focused on. Uh, you know, we, we changed the logo. Some people hate it. Um, and came up with our new tagline, the Renaissance of tradition. We want to get back to the tradition of CZW to the, not just deathmatch, there's something for everybody. Here's these great high flyers and great technicians and building the future. Uh, I'm very much about the younger guys. While it would be great to bring in a lot of the stars, like I said, Nick Gage is he's my age. My time is really done. Like I'm not the star. I'm here just like Chris Jericho is helping make a 25-year-old MJF. Um, you know, it's it's MJF's time to be the guy. And you know, we're going to try to find those people and really develop them. You know, I don't think I'm ever going to win back over the audience as a promoter. I think people are just going to have their opinion on me. But um, if we put on a good wrestling product and give people more of what they want, but not do it right away. Like, give them a little, give them a little, give them a little. You know, it, it, it's... Like I said, you want to have the big crazy night with that significant other of yours, but you know, you got to start with the kiss, you know, you got to build to the pop and tell good stories, good sound, sensical booking. Um, and it's being done and that's what people really get behind. And I've seen it. It's being done on the Indies too. You know, you brought up Nick Gage and, and you know, he just did a, and still is doing a program with Matt Cordona or, or and it really got over because they told a story, but not, they, they rushed to the match, but this isn't, this is, they're still in chapter one, you know, yeah. the book. And that's what I'm working towards. You know, I ask people to be patient. I ask people to reach out to us directly. You know, it, it's not the same people. We're making a lot of changes because we want to do this the best that we can. We don't, I definitely don't want to just put on a show to put on a show. Um, you know, I want people invested in what we're doing and 
you know, that's why I've been kind of quiet. And this is the first interview that I've done where normally I'm probably doing them all the time. And, I, you know, I've seen the jokes and I've seen what people are saying and, and that's all great. And I'm not going to comment on any of it, but like, we want, we want you to enjoy the product. We want you to come in and live vicariously through these characters. And while you're watching it, whether it's at home, on your phone, or they're live, to enjoy what you're watching. You know, we want to take these younger talents and help build them. Whether they move on to a WWE or an AEW, that's great. You know, because I watch AEW because there are so many people there that I've put work into or tried to help or given my opinion or advice, you know, to in a number of ways that, you know, or I mean, most of that roster has worked for me at one point or another. <laughs> um, that I can sit there and say, okay, yes, this, these guys, I can see, okay. I can see, you know, what we've done with them there. And it makes me feel good about that. The same thing with NXT, you know, uh, even the main roster at WWE, you know, now you're starting to see a lot of guys and girls coming up, you know, watching a, a Penelope Ford develop into who she's becoming. And she's a star at AW is, you know, that little girl who came in and was unicorns and butterflies, you know, and now she's out there and she's, she's a star, you know, watching a guy like, like the blade, who you know, just a random indie guy. And, and then really like got into it, got places, did the work. And now he's where he deserves to be, you know, watching Sammy Callahan at, at impact going from Cal cannonball Callahan, you know, he was the, you know, fat little kid, you know, <laughs> to where he's literally the guy to, you know, watching John Moxley, who, you know, had a pink mohawk at one point when I met him, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, like it, it's seeing those guys and seeing that, you know, you had conversations with them and whether they give you credit or not, you know, watching Adam Cole, you know, Adam was in my wedding. It's watching him from the day that he turned, you know, graduated high school and his mom let him come to a wrestling school to uh, let's face facts, he's probably going to be, if he's not one of the biggest stars in wrestling now, he probably will be the guy at some point, somewhere. Um, whether he decides to go back to WWE and go to the main roster or AEW or Japan or wherever it is, he's that guy. Watching him develop, and, and, you know, and, and see that. Getting guys opportunities is what we're going to, you know, focus on. Um and then take the brand as many places as we can. You know, I want to get back over to Europe. Um, you know, we have a good relationship there. Started reopening the doors that I had open years ago, developing relationships, you know, that make good business sense. I mean, we have a couple that we've worked on that are not out there yet that are things, but it, it's, it's got to be a benefit. And again, I actually do want to get back to what John said. I want my crew. I want my guys. I want you here because you want to be here for CZW and, and that looks good. And when CZW comes up, you come up with it. And, you know, I've learned a lot in the last year more. I think I've learned a lot in the last year and a half through COVID as a promoter and an owner and creative than I have in 10 years plus of me running the company. Um, one, I got myself straight, which is besides the fact that I talk too much which is, which is good for the first time in years. Um, you know, 
besides putting on weight, um, I'm not reliant on wrestling as my job um, to pay my bills. Um, I'm somewhat healthy, <laughs> minus <laughs> mental things that, uh, you know, the good doctors fixed with me. So, you know, I, I just want that. As far as anybody else, if you've never checked us out, if you've never checked CZW out, go to czwstudios.com. It's $9.99, $10. Sign up. Cancel at any time. Just watch through stuff. Just There's tons of other companies there, tons of other content. Um, we're working with Fight and Chiller to develop some stuff for them. We have about 10 shows on Fight right now. We're looking to get our entire library there. If not, subscribe to Independent Wrestling TV. We're now on Tubi. Um, you know, there's pay-per-views. There's, there's all kinds of stuff that's out there that you can find us. Um, you know, even if you just got to look up on YouTube, you know, find some of that, you know, and kind of, you know, give a valid opinion. Don't just be like, this sucks. Okay, well, what do you like? You know, merch ideas like, you know, bloody bed sheets is great. Um, <laughs> We are coming out with some some new merchandise very shortly. We have some that is going to be wrestling branded and deathmatch branded. You know, we're gonna, we have a, a line that I'm calling deathmatch strong that is geared towards the deathmatch audience. Um, we're kind of waiting for the winner because for some reason deathmatch fans love hoodies. So <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, hoodies and caps, man, hoodies and caps. You know, and, and literally just deathmatch strong. You know, um, something simple. It doesn't even have to be CZW branded. You know, it, it could just be that and give them something that they can, you know, relate to. And and, and that's kind of where we are. And, and again, you know, if you're somebody who's who hears this interview and you're looking into professional wrestling, um, you know, we have a great school in Blackwood, New Jersey at Studio Z. Uh, it's 110 Harmon Drive, Suite 207, Blackwood, New Jersey. Myself, Gabby Gilbert and the rep are the, the main trainers. Um I could sit here and run through the list of guys you watch on TV that have started here or have come through, through our school. Um, some of these I've already talked about. Um, we are actually in process of merging our school um, with another very predominant uh, school in our area, uh, which is the Wild Simone Training Center. Um, so we are in negotiations with them to, uh, to do that and the great Samu and, and his team will, will come in and, and, uh, you know, just adds one more tool to the arsenal. We are, uh, starting September, we'll be open five days a week. Uh, right now we're open Monday through Thursday, six 30 to 10, and we will be doing Sundays, uh, starting in September. Um, all of our events are also minus when we do run Philly, which that is in process. And I am actually slacking on cause I need to speak to the building. Um, will be also on Sunday. So we'll be able to give people more of convenience minus football season, but, uh, you know, that, 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 that challenge I'll get to. So, uh, you know, when the time comes, so we're going to kind of do that. Um, other things. Um, so, uh, effective 2022, I can run back in the state of Delaware and I'm already currently trying to work on something there. Uh, so we can go back to the farm and, and, and by next year, I fully 100% expect Tournament of Death to be there. Uh, questions that I think fans are going to have is when is all this stuff going to launch? Uh, best thing I can tell you is it's a work in progress. Um, again, we get close and then something happens. Uh, COVID is still a thing. You know, many states are masking back up. 
I'm also working around other people's schedules, so I don't really have a uh, say. You know, we 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 had an estimated date. Now New Japan's running 2300 Arena that day, so we're not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, so it, it's it's and then you got to work with other people's schedules. Um, again, if you're a wrestler out there, and you know, or, or or a fan, or somebody who has some talent, I am telling you right now, my entire mantra is about developing. I will invest in people if people invest in us. And, you know, even if I don't have it, let's sit down and figure it out. Again, I can see something in somebody. I can see talent, you know, but it doesn't mean it's, it's where it needs to be or how it needs to be or anything. Let's work on it together, you know, and, and go from there. You know, there's a lot of great talented people that are, have stepped up and that are assisting me and that I'm putting my faith and trust in. And, you know, hopefully when we do launch, you'll be able to hear all about them because I know a lot of them just don't want that out there right now. Uh, again, the plan short term is we'll be running live events in Maryland, hopefully by the end of the year, as long as the commission isn't a pain. Um, Philadelphia, we have a, a venue there that has given us permission to run shows there, but the venue's under construction. Um, it's going through a remodel and there's no ETA because COVID's delayed that. And uh, we will be doing stuff in the studio uh, in New Jersey. Um, so we are planning to do all those things. Uh, the goal is the studio will be more like our television concept. It's, it's very tech in there. We got LED screens and lights flat. Like there's so much crap in there. I don't even know. I don't even know how half of it works. Um, and, you know, the goals are to do that, do four main big shows a year that are kind of pay-per-views for that. Um, and then do the two offshoots, which will, you know, and out of the four, we're still going to do Cage of Death. We're still planning to do, uh, you know, things like Tangled Web and stuff like that. And then the two of shows that will we'll run, which will be best of the best, which is our pure wrestling tournament and tournament of death. So there'll be right now about six big you know, pay-per-view style shows and, um, you know, the UVU stuff will hopefully start launching later in the fall, um, kind of building to that, you know, now it's just a matter of trying to work around schedules and who's available and, you know, when guys can shoot and, and, and all that, that'll also be filmed in the studio. So in front of a small audience, so we'll have all that stuff out very shortly. So, you know, I just want, you know, people to constantly check that out, go to the website, check us out on any of those platforms, whatever's convenient for you. You know, we're currently in talks to work on some new platforms. Uh, you know, if you have questions, you know, always feel free just because we're not tweeting or Instagramming or Facebooking, you know, we're not doing anything that we want to put out there yet until we, you know, we, we want to give you the best thing that we can give you and, you know, now it, it it's getting to the point now where we got to start running and giving fans what they want. So, you know, feel free, check us out. You know, if you have comments, questions, you know, legitimate, not like stupidness. You know, <laughs> if you have a legit question, yeah, I get those all the time. I hate reading those DMs, man. I hate reading those DMs because um, the questions are the worst stuff you've ever seen. Um you know, we'll give you a very, you know, clear, concise answer, you know, uh, and, you know, I can't, I can't speak on certain things, you know, I wish I could, but, uh, 
you know, it's one of those things that, you know, if you really want to see it, we will be back. It's just a matter of when and when will be the right time. And, you know, hopefully we'll have some more news coming shortly and go from there. Awesome, bro. That all sounds so exciting. I can't wait to check it out myself. And everyone out there watching on YouTube, if you look in the description right there, everything that DJ Hyde just plugged, all of the links, all of the websites, everything, you're going to find it right down there for your perusal. Um, so DJ, excellent stuff. Thank you so much for the interview. We've got one final segment before I let you go. It's called Five Second Frenzy. The rule is you have five seconds to answer each question. It's your favorite this, your favorite that. It's quick fire. Uh, and the first one, DJ, is who is your favorite wrestler? Hulk Hogan. Excellent. Who's your favorite opponent over the years? Uh, Daisuke Sakamoto or Walter. Nice. Uh, tough one. If you break the five seconds, it's okay because you might need to think. The favorite match you've ever performed in? Oh, crap. Uh, that one's tough. <laughs> um, any match that people enjoyed, that's probably the best thing I could say. So, no problem, Brian. Finally, away from wrestling, favorite book. Oh, crap. Um, I'm trying to think of the name of it, and it's 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 a Walt Disney book, and I can't think of the name. <laughs> it's been a while since I've read it, but it's 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 a Disney book based on Walt. It's, it's about quotes and how he did business. Okay, cool. Uh, favorite TV show? Right now or of all time? Of all time. Hmm. Big fan of the Clone Wars. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, favorite film? The Girl Next Door. Excellent, excellent choice. Uh, favorite musical artist? Oh man, that's tough. Uh, just to be me, I'll say Taylor Swift. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent, bro. Uh, away from the arts now, favorite food, bro? Uh, hmm. Anything that's like meat, probably. Yeah. Excellent choice. We usually get uh, uh, meat-related answers for that one. Uh, favorite place to eat on the road? Cheaply Waffle House. Yeah, that's another popular answer. Uh, three remaining for Five Second Frenzy DJ. What's your favorite alcoholic beverage? Uh, tequila. Shots. Nice. Excellent. Uh, second last one, the naughtiest one of Five Second Frenzy, your favorite female body part is a good-looking lady. What do the eyes go to first? Face. 
Nice choice. And the last one, DJ Hyde, your favorite curse word. That's tough. <laughs> I do so a lot of uh, probably the universal adjective. So the <laughs> F word. Excellent, Bray. Uh, well, thank you so much, DJ Hyde. This has been such a joy for me to learn about your journey in wrestling and where things are headed with CZW in the future. Um, this is a first of its kind for our show to have the chance to talk to a promoter who has uh, accomplished so much and still have so much more to accomplish. And I always end it like this. And this is really important for me to say it because you know, as we talked about earlier, there are a lot of CCW fans out there that have over the years, you know, not been very kind towards you. So I want to be a fan of CCW and yourself to say from the most isolated city in the world here, I appreciate all the hard work you put into what you do, because I know that it's not just as easy of booking a venue booking a card and that's it. There is way, way more that the layman out there does not realize goes into what you do. So I want you to know that I appreciate what you do and I hope you're very proud of everything that you are, you have accomplished and are to still accomplish. Thank you. I thank you and everyone for uh, supporting. I don't care whether they like me or hate me, just as long as they support the team and the company, because it's really, you know, I do this for them now and uh, I love what I do and I do this, you know, not for me, but for everybody else and give them a home and give people something that hopefully they can enjoy. So hopefully whether you hate me or love me, you'll be able to support the company. Well, thank you, DJ. Really appreciate your time again, my friend. Uh, it's really meant a lot to me. Thank you. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, that was my interview with the one and only DJ Hyde, the big kahuna, the boss, the owner of CZW. I'm your host with the most on the West Coast, California and Fury. This was the Insider's Edge, and we will see you next time. Thank you. <laughs>